This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. <sighs> your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, the show where we... Uh, Give you the tools, the information, the solutions you need to live a healthier, happier life. We'll give you some news, too. But anybody can bring you the news. Some even try. They try really hard. (laughs) But uh, we are going to uh, instead also be bringing you um, just other information that you can be aware of. Today, for example, did you know that if you, let's say your team plays ball at the Staples Center. That's in Los Angeles. And let's say you're a Clippers fan, right? Or a Lakers. Take your pick. Okay. And if your team wins your game in the Staples Center, do you think that that impacts Staples' bottom line? The actual company, Staples? Mm-hmm. Well, you think stock I- goes up? Stock prices go up for Staples if the Lakers win at the Staples Center? You would think that the, they would sponsor the building thinking they were attaching themselves to something positive for their brand. You right? are correct. So you would think that so, so-and-so team wins at Staples Center. Every headline yeah. says that. Now, see, now, well, now, it's interesting because it improves the sentiment towards Staples if your team wins. I can totally see that because you're, you're associated you're with like, something man, positive. That felt great. Which explains why some companies get mad when you abbreviate because they make the name incredibly long right. and cumbersome. Right. And so when you abbreviate it, they get angry yeah. because you're not using their name. Use the name. Use it. Like, I mean, there's the United Airlines Center, which was in Chicago, right? Delta yep. Airlines used to be the Jazz. And you, they've become affiliated with these teams. But it impacts the stock. Stock prices go up. This is why the Super Bowl seems to be so focused on corporate sponsorship. And at the same time, it's important what the name of the stadium is because you don't want it associated with something negative. That's right. That is huge, huh? You don't want it, you don't want the. I mean, the business could be what it is, but what they end up doing can be seen sort of negatively. Here in the, the state of Utah, we had a uh, what was it a, uh, a hazardous waste company? Yes, who was sponsoring the stadium where the Utah Jazz play, <laughs> and people were like, "You're doing what?" And they're they're burying toxic material out in this desert. We bury like, mm. toxic waste, and it was seemed kind of right. odd that that odd. was the uh, company it, name. It, and they they may have maybe just been doing it to you know improve their name. Well, then they changed their name. Yeah, because you know misdirection. Don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Look over here. Look over here. But uh, so today we're going to be speaking with a professor that has studied this effect, how corporate sponsorship actually does impact the stock return, stock market uh, returns for those companies. That's why the Super Bowl is a big deal. Yeah, this, and, uh, this, of course, in light of the Super Bowl this weekend, is all these companies are shelling out a ton of money to uh, try to grab your attention for 30 seconds. Like five million bucks for a 30-second ad? Yeah. Affiliated with a game and at for, a stadium. For some of these advertisers, it's, it's huge. a huge reach for them, yeah. but they're hoping to get huge returns. Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a big lesson I think we're all going to learn. You, no one will believe this, but there's money to be made supporting sports. It's a crazy concept. It is the weirdest thing. Um, interesting. 
speaking of sport, is Donald being a poor sport? Could be. Donald seems a little perturbed. After Iowa, he was very conciliatory. Yeah. He was like, congratulations to everyone. We all did very, you know, yeah. that kind of a, a he sentiment was very as he was loving. talking. Instead of his normal brash, <laughs> shaking his fist. I'm but now he's calling Ted Cruz a cheater. So what, what he's talking about, Ted Cruz's campaign sent out a mailer before the Iowa caucuses that said voter violation across the top. I believe was the verbiage it used. Mm. And in the text of the flyer, it I think it listed whatever you lived, your neighbors, and when the when's the last time they voted in the caucus? Oh wow. To show that you're not being uh you're not voting enough is kind of the the message. Now, you don't have to vote. There's no law that says yeah. you must vote, but they made it seem like that if you didn't, you were in violation. You need to vote. Oh. So that's that was kind of the That's what that that's what people kind of jumped on, and you know, Cruz is like, "Oh, there's no no big deal here." The Secretary what? of State what? of Iowa came out and said that this is uh, it's trying to look like a legal document, mm-hmm. so they're kind of questioning the motivations behind the document. And then there was the whole issue of uh, CNN reports that Ben Carson was going going right. to go home after the the Iowa caucuses, take a, a day, get a change of clothes, and then head back to New Hampshire. <laughs> that was the original release. Right. The Cruz campaign put out a thing saying Ben Carson's dropping out. He's out. So essentially, vote for our candidate. Vote for Ted Cruz. Yeah. And then CNN or, or the the crew, the uh, Carson campaign put out a second, more clarification. No, just, said, just get said, close. Said the same thing that See the first the one did, but they wanted to clarify yeah. the Cruz campaign didn't correct their mistake until after the mm. caucus. So this is what Trump's calling violation. So play clip one, if you will. He's a nasty guy. He's got no endorsements from the people that work for them, United States senators. Think of it. Out of all of these senators, not one has endorsed him. And he works with them. He's a nasty guy. Nobody likes him. And, and you know, I just thought this was a step too far. He did the voter violation certificate, and then he did the Ben Carson thing. I mean, this guy is really fraudulent. Uh, Trump just kind of – this was an interview, well, I believe, on Boston Herald Radio. Plus, he's not even an American. Yeah. He's a Canadian. <laughs> yeah. So he, he Trump calls voter violation. Yeah, he, yeah. He's calling him, you know, improprieties mm-hmm. back and forth. Well, then Ted Cruz had a chance to respond. Oh, boy. And as he was talking to the uh, the media, and he kind of uh, coined a new term, clip five, if you will. Well, listen, it, it is no surprise uh, that Donald is throwing yet another temper tantrum, or if you like, yet another trumper tantrum. Uh, it seems his reaction to everything is to throw a fit, to engage in insults. And I understand that Donald finds it very hard to lose. Ooh. Wow. So he's like, this is all because Trump lost, and he doesn't know what to do. He can't wrap his mind around no. it, How so he throws you? a Trumper tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> that is th- – this is crazy. Now, some of the people – so he's basically saying that that's why Trump lost his lead is because of all of these shenanigans. Yes. Except – um, Well, no, he, he's saying that the, the results are fraudulent. They should either be thrown out or we should redo the caucus. Well, they've already been validated by Iowa. Right. Details aren't really important. Oh, it's, sorry. it's Trump. <laughs> but see, interesting thing, though, Ben Carson's um, Ben Carson actually did better in the Iowa caucus than he thought he would do. But could he have done better if the Cruz campaign didn't put out a even better than report? he was uh, tracking at? I see. So everybody seemed to have done better except Trump. Like Rubio did better. Right. Cruz seemed to do better. Carson did better. Which leads us to uh, 
But Trump slipped. Clip 11. Donald's insults get more and more hysterical the more and more upset he gets. And that's fine. He can do that. I'm not going to respond in kind. Do you think they're funny? I'm going to I think they're just, I think they're very funny. I He's think about to Donald, say they're hysterical. I wake up every day and laugh at the latest thing Donald has tweeted because he's losing it. <laughs> he's losing it. <laughs> this is interesting because do you remember when these two were just buddies? Oh, yeah. They were good friends. Now he, we've already known Trump thought he was nasty. He's been saying that for a while. Right. But now he's a he's a crook, um, which just seems weird because I don't know if you've heard this. Um Donald's been nominated by somebody for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. But if you look into it further, pretty much every person running for office, every person in a major political role well, yeah. around the world gets nominated, and then they winnow it down to the— uh, Yeah, he's not on the short list. No. This but, is the initial list. But I, also crazy— but it is funny. But on the list were also um, the, the people that did not receive the award but were nominated, Mahatma Gandhi, right. Pope Francis, right. Adolf Hitler— huh. Vlad, yeah. Vladimir Putin. There you Pretty go. Pretty much, you, you know, if you're a leader, you can get on that list. You know who's at the top of the list? Did you see that? No. Snowden. Well, Edward Snowden. He's united a certain group of people. Like he's on the short list. Wow, interesting stuff. Okay, yeah. man, Trump. So I, uh, I, I found that vastly entertaining yesterday as they were going back and forth trying to uh, one-up each other on the insult. And- this is interesting because this is the first time you've seen Trump uh, lose – and then have to handle it. But he also is leading now, so it seems like he ought to be kind of careful. It's like 38% to 14% yeah. over Cruz, just incredible margins. Yeah. And then Bernie Sanders, even even a bigger margin against Hillary. So we'll and, see and how that I, works. And we won't – we'll talk about this probably next hour, but they had a – they had a – Another town hall. Yeah. Where they had a – Is that what we're calling those? Well, they're called town halls. They debate, but they don't actually appear on the stage together. So it's kind of it's kind of just two different interviews. Yes. I don't know how you call that a debate. And then they debate tonight. There's a debate tonight. Oh, a real debate tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where they're going to be on the same stage. They will be next to each other. They will have to face off. Fantastic. Fantastic. Can hardly wait. Let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything else going on around the rest of the country or Speaking world? Speaking of uh, Hillary Clinton, Jason Chaffetz, House Oversight Chairman, announced he will investigate record-keeping in the federal government, including presidential contender Hillary Clinton's use of personal emails while serving as Secretary of State. Speaker Paul Ryan and House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy have warned the Utah Republican to stay away saying the FBI and Justice Department should be left to investigate the matter on their own. Ryan McCarthy warned congressional involvement could disrupt other agencies' work. So it looks like the uh, House Oversight Chairman is going in on, on his own here. Oh, boy. Since the like uh, leader, leadership is saying, don't do it, don't yeah. do it. He's going to go for it Walk anyways. away, walk away. Former, uh, Rick Senator, former Senator Rick Santorum will exit the Republican presidential wow. race, he announced. Santorum has struggled to gain any stake in the polls. In his campaign cycle after winning the Iowa caucus in 2012, he uh, immediately endorses Marco Rubio. Wow. That was fun. Fast. Fast. I like how efficient that is. Over and out. We'll see you. Next. Uh, Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders battled Wednesday night over who had better progressive credentials. During a town hall meetup in Derry, New Hampshire, the former Secretary of State defended her record after the Vermont senator mounted an attack on her connection to Wall Street. It's very hard to see how any of his proposals could ever be achievable. Senator Sanders has set himself up to be the gatekeeper on who's a progressive. 
Sanders criticized Clinton for not being liberal enough on issues such as trade agreements, Wall Street regulation, climate change, and her backing of the war in Iraq. The two will face off again in New Hampshire tonight. Well, actually, in February 9th, that's the actual uh, primaries, and they'll have a debate this evening as they continue to try to figure she, out She does not want the most to go more left. No, and he's trying to drag her that way. So it's, it's interesting to see her pull back and... Oh, wow. And he just looks at her and goes, what's your problem? You should Come like on. this. Come on over. That's oh, scary. And then you, there's quotes that people run calling, where she's calling herself a moderate last year. Yeah, I'm know, a moderate. In, in Ohio, Ohio, I think. And now she's like, no, no, I'm a progressive. Really? True. So it's interesting. Donald Trump's plane was diverted to Nashville International Airport Wednesday after reporting engine problems. The pilot declared an emergency but did not ask for assistance. He just landed the airplane. The Trump <laughs> Boeing uh, B-757 landed about 4 p.m. The FAA will investigate. Trump was on his way to Little Rock, Arkansas for a rally when the starboard engine experienced a mechanical issue 50 miles outside of Nashville. Wow, that is hopefully not symbolic. Of a faltering campaign? <laughs> We're losing an engine. We're losing We're it. losing an engine over Iowa. Yeah. Wow. Scary. Interesting. You've heard the concept of, uh, what is it, nine degrees of separation, six degrees of separation? Uh, I thought it was three. Five. Three? Well, it's like... Is it nine? It's like six or nine. But the yeah. idea that you're so many people away from every other person on the planet. Oh, yeah. Or Kevin Bacon. Or, yeah, the Kevin Bacon game, <laughs> yes. It has been proposed that everyone on the planet is only six degrees of separation away from everyone else on the planet. In other words, you're six or fewer friends of a friend away from, say, the President of the United States or Vladimir Putin mm-hmm. or all these different people because of the way we're all interconnected. Only now, with the invention of the Internet, that number has shrunk enormously. Facebook's research has found that each person in the world, at least among the 1.59 billion people active on Facebook, is connected to every other person by an average of three and a half other people. On Facebook. So Facebook has shrunk the the idea of the six degrees to three and a half. The world's getting closer. The degrees of separation between people are rapidly shrinking. In 2011, a Cornell researcher uh, said that it was more like 3.74, so they've actually shrunk it from 3.74 to 3.5. I guess this is progress. Facebook users have doubled since the last calculation, however, so naturally, as more people use the site, we grow more interconnected. Well, that's a great spin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because honestly, like when I get a letter from somebody in Nigeria. Yeah, the Prince of Nigeria. Yeah. Yes. I'm only like two degrees of separation from him. Right, and and he tells you you have like millions of dollars yeah. waiting for you. He just needs six hundred dollars to release yeah. the money. Why can't you get the dude six hundred bucks? Right, you're gonna make millions. It makes total sense, and you just got it in an email. And what's amazing is this was never happening twenty years ago. No, I wasn't able to help a prince, <laughs> and it's royalty for heaven's sakes. His Excellency, <laughs> oh mercy, isn't life great? Super Bowl is coming up, and so when you think about it, when and you see all those advertisers and you see all the sponsors, does when you're watching a game, if the game happens to be held at Levi Stadium, are you going to go buy more Levi's the next day? Are you going to go buy some stock in Levi's if your team wins the game? Well, according to our next uh, expert, Dr. Asaf Eisdorfer, uh, he would say, yeah, stock market is impacted by sporting events. Interesting data when we think about the Super Bowl coming up this uh, Sunday. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. We're talking money 
and sports, you, you'll, you'll probably be amazed at how, uh, you know, we're all moved by some of those funniest little things. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little cold play for you. A little pre, just a little pre-show for the Super Bowl. Oh, that's going to be great. I know Terry loves cold play, and we know they're going to deliver for the halftime entertainment. He just rolled his eyes. Rude. Hey, um, this Sunday, the Denver Broncos will be taking on the Carolina Panthers for the Super Bowl 50. And along with all of the excitement and cold play at halftime, and uh, the anticipation for um, what many think is the greatest part of the game would be those halftime Super Bowl commercials. Every year, millions watch the Super Bowl. And for some, it's about the commercials, but for others, the game. But these advertisements, believe it or not, uh, are coming with a high price. Companies are paying between $4.6 million to a little bit more than $5 million for a 30-second ad. Over the last five seasons, the approximate price for a spot has increased by an average of 11.1% each year, and the Super Bowl itself has drawn $5.9 billion in inflation-adjusted ad spending since 1967. These are high costs um, just to, you know, hopefully bring some returns. Well, joining us today is Dr. Asaf Eisdorfer. He is Associate Professor of Finance at the University of Connecticut and the author of a study Uh, titled Corporate Sports Sponsorship and Stock Returns, Evidence from the NFL. In Dr. Eisdorfer's study, he seeks to examine the effects of sponsor stock returns after game day. Uh, Dr. Eisdorfer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Let me just say that this study is a joint work with Dr. Elizabeth Cole, and the study will be appearing at the Critical Finance Review. Oh, excellent, excellent. And talk to us about this, uh, Dr. Eisdorfer. Is it... So what you're saying in your study, I think you studied NFL teams, right? Yes. We focus on the NFL for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, the NFL is by a wide margin the most popular sport in the U.S. I can come up uh, with um, several numbers. Let me choose this particular one. Yeah. A couple of seasons ago, uh, fall of 2013, 34 out of the 35 most watched TV shows were NFL games. Oh, wow. This is, among, this is among all shows, not just sports shows. I think the only one among these 35 shows that was not an NFL game is the Emmy Awards or something. Yeah. So the NFL is a league of its own. It attracts tens of millions of viewers on a regular basis. So this is a good ground for, for starting the best art theory. The other reason is the importance of every game in the NFL. Every game is very important. Uh, the NFL promotes its game by saying every game can change the season, and this is right. The NFL season is short, only 16 games, so the weight of every game is so important. It's an event. And also in the playoff time, uh, the playoff system is based on one game at each progression, right. comparing to five or seven game series in the other sports like basketball or hockey or baseball. So every so game is just it's more leveraged. Exactly right. So everything is 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 is, is collapsed to one game in the in the postseason, and it's make or break. You you win the game, you keep going. You lose the game, you're out. 
So the implications can be huge. So the popularity of the NFL and the importance of every, uh, every game uh, led us to focus on the NFL as our, the basis of, uh, to test our theory. Now, interesting. And then what you, what you found out, though, you're trying to see that if somebody sponsors, I guess, for example, the game, um, was it the stadium? Really more, I think, wasn't it? If, if they're sponsoring the stadium and they're a publicly traded company, then you could actually see – you could try to find some correlation, I guess, between the game and the stock price of the publicly traded company. That's exactly right. This is what we found. <laughs> Very accurate. We found that companies – Large companies that sponsor NFL Stadium, their price, the stock, stock price in the next trading day will be affected by the outcome of the game that are held in their stadiums. <laughs> now, it doesn't happen for every game. Uh, I, I would don't say that every game will generate this effect, but it happens for the highly profiled, high, highly watched games. Take Monday night games, for example. Highly popular, highly important games. They're also chosen based on their interest that they generate. Right. If the home team... If the home team wins a Monday night game, in the next trading game, the stadium sponsor will earn a stock return that is 0.5% higher than if the team were losing. What? Really? Yes. That, that's just now, the, what, now that's yes. the home team wins. Yes. The stock yes. prices, the stock market would go, the, the stock price would go up. Is, is that because, because these games are on national TV? Yes. So why does it matter who wins? Uh, because the home team has the advantage that its sponsor is is viewable right. to the audience. Right. They think about think about the fans that for three or four hours watch a game and hear and see the stadium sponsor. Okay, the Panthers, Bank of America is there for three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Every commercial, yeah. every commercial, right? Bank of America every Stadium. Break. Yeah. Aerial, aerial uh, coverage, uh, aerial <laughs> photos. Uh, the, the commentator mentioned back in Bank of America Stadium. We're back here, we're back there. You see the sign. So if you see three, four hours, uh, the name of the, of the sponsor, there is some effect. Wow. And the next day, we see that Bank of America is, uh, for some reason, is affected by what's going on on the field. Unbelievable. Now, uh, now um, um, it's important to know that uh, there may be two drivers here for this effect, and we distinguish. We try to distinguish in the study what really drives this effect. We can distinguish between two two cases here. One is that the next day return just reflects rational market reaction to the real cash flow implication of the game. For example, suppose that the team is losing a very important game during the season that can significantly lower their chances to compete for the championship in that season. What will happen? The team will attract less, will, will attract less attention in the media, right? Right. There will be less coverage. Uh, there will be less exposure to the team, and thereby the sponsor will suffer because we will see and hear less and less the sponsor because they will, the rating will be lowered. There will not be a national broadcast of that, of that game. And you just say in the opening that companies pay so much money oh, yeah. just for 30 seconds, 20 seconds commercial. Here you have something like with so-called free promotion for three, four hours, and you're going to lose it because the team has just lost an important game. Hmm. So this can worth a lot of money for the team, and the next day market reaction can simply reflect this real cash flow implication 
that the team, the company just lost for the 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 let's say the less export that it will get in the remaining of the season. So this is one this is one potential driver. Winning, losing, uh, also, yeah. Okay, so I mean, you you can almost see that, right? So a, a comp or a, a team that loses consistently might actually have their sponsorship of their stadium change more regularly. Absolutely, yeah. I, I would say I, I would, yeah. That 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 makes sense. So so the rational aspect is there, but there also may be a behavioral effect, what we call investor sentiment. Well, say say that again, uh, Asaf. What 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 do you call it? Investor sentiment, we call okay, it. Right. It's yep. more emo- emotional effect. It's a mood-based effect. Yeah. Effect. If if the, the fans watch their their team uh, for three four hours, the team is expecting to win an important game, and the team is losing, the fans can associate their disappointment from the team with the <laughs> team's sponsor. Yeah. This can be translated to negative stock return in the next trading day. About five percent, you say. No, not five percent. Point five. Oh, point five percent. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, but point five percent can be huge. Oh no, sure. There's a lot of traders that could make a lot of money on point five percent every game. Absolutely, and this company is worth twenty, thirty million, a billion dollars. Point five percent can easily ca- cover their annual investment in the stadium. Oh yeah. So that's why they're doing it. That's interesting because I've always thought, is this really worth it? But you're you're basically validating how how it is. You know, you know that's a very interesting ca- uh, question, Matt. Because we don't in this study we don't actually explore whether the overall investment in the Pays naming off. right uh, acquisition is is a good deal. We assume that it's a good deal because uh, there was some study that went after this question and found that this it benef- benefits the the companies, and also if you just look at the trend, what happened in the last 20 years? There are more and more corporations that go and seek to be NFL sponsor. We just found a year and a half ago, AT&T paid mm. half a billion dollars to take the Dallas Stadium uh, right. sponsorship. And this, and, and, and this if for 25 years, this is a big deal. I think today, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think only six stadiums were left without publicly large public traded sponsors. So the trend showed that large companies really want to go for these deals, and there's a lot of uh, auctions and and uh, and competition in this area. So we assume that this overall this is a good uh, transaction for for the team for the stadium sponsors. Would you assume the same? Um or uh, not the not the exact same you know return, but would you assume similar value in basketball NFL or NBA stadiums or in pro soccer or pro football in Europe? Okay, um, that, that's a very interesting direction to go. Actually, we looked at the other sport. We didn't do the same analysis because of the reason that I mentioned why the NFL is so important. But we looked definitely at soccer in Europe. Um, because soccer is the most popular sport worldwide. Right. Right. So we looked what happened. We took the four major leagues in in Europe, which is the uh, the Premier League in England, the German League, the, the Bundesliga, and in Spain and Italy. And we took all of the of, of the teams that were in these leagues in the last twenty years, and we found that something like maybe five percent of the teams have public uh, sponsors. So this uh, this adventure of 
of a large public uh, companies that sponsor stadiums, it's more unique to the U.S. In Europe, it's more the stadiums are more named after uh, uh, former coaches or former players. Right. So we didn't have the same ground to test it in Europe uh, for soccer as we had in the U.S., especially in the NFL. Hmm. For the other sports, for the other sports in uh, in the U.S., uh, hockey, baseball. Um, Basketball, I would assume that we won't find the same effect because every game is not as important. Mm-hmm. So I don't see a much one-game effect. Maybe game seven in the finals, and the finals or something. That, that may, but the sample is small for these kinds of games. And also during the season, we have at least 82 games in each of the other sports, right? So there's too many games to get to one game effect, mm-hmm. uh, I think. The NFL is pretty unique in that aspect. Yeah, then it probably just turns more into like an advertising effect right yeah, just probably just yeah, probably, running a commercial yeah. um yeah. one of the things that i i was wondering is with the super bowl go- that will be at the at levi stadium in santa clara where the right. 49ers play that the i would assume when you have the fan base that will be watching the super bowl that number of people for four hours that big of a game would the would you assume the effect would be bigger than the 0.5 percent yeah uh yeah, there are two sides here. First of all, you're absolutely right. The, the, the most watched, the, the biggest game, the most watched game is the Super Bowl. We don't get get bigger game than that. However, uh, for the purpose of our study, we attached a win or a lo- or a loss of the of the sponsor team with the company. The Super Bowl is played in a, in a stadium that is not uh, associated with any of the team. In the 49 Super Bowl so far, it happened to be that it's never <laughs> never played at the, at the home team stadium. Hmm. And also in, the, in this year, Levi, San Francisco is not there. So we, all, we, so we cannot say what happens if the Panthers win, what happens if the, uh, true. If, if the Broncos win, because the, neither team is associated with Levi. The home team, right. Yeah, what, what is it's also it's a private company, so it's hard to follow what's going on there. But I I totally agree with you. Yeah, that if we find that at, at one day next year, uh, the 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 Super Bowl will be held uh, in a stadium that one of the team is actually its own team, that would be very interesting case to follow because this will be the biggest game, and you can attach the team with with the, the stadium sponsor. What does this tell you? Um, Dr. Eisdorfer, about our investor approach, if if we're investing 0.5% more just simply based on a football game? Um, the next day return probably will be hard to realize because uh, the, the effect is immediate. I mean, right in the morning, you see the effect. It's like... <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, it's like uh, earning surprise. It, it, you see, it's very hard to realize uh, any corporate news that it becomes public. Yeah. You can view the, the, the sport match as, as a public news, a corporate news. If the team is losing uh, in a game that he was, it was expected to win, you can view it as a negative earning surprise when the financial statements are announced, something hmm. like that. And you cannot really realize that if it becomes public. However... We looked also if the investor can uh, utilize this effect by trading the stock price in the next days, at least until the next game in the next weekend. So uh, we found that there is some benefit for the investors, and it goes like this. I'll try to make it as simple as possible yeah. because it involves more uh, uh, portfolio structures, but uh, in the most generic way, if 
you look at over the weekend uh, of all of the home teams' performance, and you buy all of the stock prices of the sponsors whose team won that weekend, and you short all of the stocks of the sponsor whose team lost that weekend, mm-hmm. assuming that there will be continuing effect in the second day, third day, fourth day, and so on. And we find that if you do it week in, week out during the NFL season, you're going to get some abnormal return on average, something like 1.5% every, every week. Wow. Yeah, so, so there is something there in the study that, that uh, showed that there is some trading opportunities um, for doing this. But uh, if, in the study, we actually elaborate more which game you need to follow. For example, uh, we look at the betting spread. Uh, if, you, if you just pick the, the games that the betting spreads are fairly low, this means that any outcome, win or loss, will provide investor with some, some, some element of, uh, of unexpected news uh, because you don't know where the game will go. But yes, there is some uh, um, so there is some opportunity that that actually the investor can 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 benefit from that uh, if they do it in during the NFL season, uh, even without the next day 0.5 percent. Man, that is fascinating. Is uh, just I guess one more question: Is it does it matter if the game's close? Does it matter if it's a blowout? It seems like if it's a blowout, you'd lose certain audience, especially if it's a blowout loss. You would lo- at home. Uh, you would lose that, certain audience yeah. share. That yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think we we thought about it, but um, our sample uh, probably if you if you separate to blow out, not blow out, I don't know how much the sample will shrink. But that's a great point. Mm. Uh, definitely something that uh, uh, that is interesting. We what we did is we looked at the, the pregame betting spread, and we look if what happened if the if the game is going against the betting spread, and then we find the strongest result. If it's unexpected outcome, it's mm. upset. Yeah. Then we find the strongest result. But we didn't look if it's a blowout, a blowout upset, or just marginal upset. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it by just. The way, the, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Asa. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so um, we found that for the upset, the, the the effect is even stronger. I mean, it's 0.5 percent for Monday night, but for upset, oh, it's 0.8 percent. And also for playoff games, it's about 0.8%. So we find wow. that it's pretty consistent with the importance and the, the element of surprise in the game. It, to me, I love it because it also just shows the human side of even the investor, you know, the, how you're moved by something of sport, something of emotion and energy, passion. Absolutely. And this, I think this is the fascinating element in, in the study. We find that we find a factor NFL outcomes that we can we can use this factor to show that investors use emotion in their trading. Yeah. So it's like exogenous factor that is translated to kind of mood-based investment. And we did even more than that. We we try to see what kind of investors drive this next day return. Mm. Because who, who will be uh, more subject to emotions, to behavioral investment? The individual investment, not the, the big brokerage house. Right, 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 right. Just the individual dude. Yes, exactly yeah. right. So we saw that if, for example, a team wins, and in the next day the stock price is going up, we look at the average trade size during the day, and we find that the average trade size is going down, which means that there are more individual investors driving the stock up 
which gave us more support for yeah. that this may be an emotional investor. You bet. More sentiment there. Yeah. In fact, you can almost imagine they're wearing a Packers jersey with a cheese head on their head while they're doing a day trade. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and where it's come from. It's come from either the disappointment or the excitement exactly. of what the Packers did in the previous game. And that, in a way, I guess it's their way to communicate their frustration or excitement. Yes. Yeah, even consciously or subconsciously. Right, exactly. No, yeah. Go both ways. Oh, that's fascinating. So um, have you got a pick, Dr. Eisdorfer, for this Sunday? I mean, we know the big winner, it sounds like, is going to be Levi's. Uh, the Levi's will be a big winner. I mean, the Levi's get, uh, I mean, it, the more the game will be close, Levi's will be better off. Oh, yeah. It will be blowout. But uh, you asked me if I get a pick who's going to win yep. in the game. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I would say if I need to pick, I'd probably Panthers. There you go. Yeah, I think they're, they're good. <laughs> they're too good. Yeah. But let's hope it's close. Just that way, then everybody can invest Monday. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Dr. Asaf Eisdorfer, we appreciate you and your great work. I think this is fascinating. And to me, I like to always talk about the human side. And it, again, it just shows uh, how human we really are. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. You bet. Keep up the great work. Awesome stuff. Can you believe that? Who'd have thunk it? You'd think that people that are investing money would you know, have a better play than just the feeling of the game the next day. But uh, – Good learning, folks. We're all human, even the everyday day traders. Um, they're making decisions that are emotional. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Uh, do a little Coach's Corner when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting little, uh, interesting interview on when you think about people investing and just investing because of the mood of the game, investing because of uh, you know what happened in a in a close Sunday night football game. You're really going to get then go invest in the sponsor of that game, but you know subconsciously we're we're all making decisions like that all the time. So just uh, as, as a quick as a quick little coach's corner for us, one of the things we got to all re- be remembering is emotion plays. And whether you're doing something consciously or subconsciously, emotion is going to – it's going to play out. People are moved by life. They're moved by what's going on. And so – be thinking about that. Take the stock market aside. Take all the NFL stuff we were just talking about aside. How many times have you just had a prejudice or a bias that you're operating on all day long and you don't even know about? How many times have you been sitting at a light and somebody walks by or walks on the crosswalk in front of you, maybe a minority, and you're not used to minorities and you're locking your door or you're thinking of locking your door? It's all it's all we're all operating on some thought process, conscious or subconscious. I call that a dueling commitment. And many times we want to do one thing. We want to be a good person. We don't want to be prejudiced. We don't want to have bias. We don't we don't want to 
you know, be influenced just by our emotion or by our fears, and yet we constantly are. So if if we really want to try to unleash some of our, um, I don't know, our, our more automatic thoughts or our more automatic actions, we're going to have to eventually go in and dig a little bit deeper into what's driving the thought in a deeper way. What is the dueling commitment? If I want to get healthier, I have to figure out why I still go to McDonald's every day or every week. You know, you got to figure it out. I can't just keep talking out of one side of my mouth but eating out of the other side. It it doesn't work. And I think, you know, every one of us, to some degree or another, we just are humans. And uh, if if you want to eventually grow, hopefully, to a different level as a human, probably the best place to begin is just how you think. What drives your fear of other people? What drives your concerns about, you know, what's going on um, with this country? What drives some people to, to go have a standoff in Oregon? What drives other people to be so frustrated because President Obama went to a, 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 a religious celebration at a mosque yesterday? And why does that make you mad? See? What's going on deeper inside of all of us? It's a deep discussion. And, you know, just know if people will invest the next day more money because a game was played at Levi Stadium and they'll go invest and the stock price of Levi's goes up because of that, I'm going to bet most people aren't consciously doing that. And I'm going to bet most of us aren't consciously loving or hating certain politicians right now. It's just kind of a gut thing. Anyway, check your gut. We'll take a break, folks. Come back uh, and then do a quick wrap-up of this uh, first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We got a, a, a new update out of Canada. I came in like a Two thirds of the uh, of the Canadians up north, you know, they feel that President Trump would be bad for Canada. A recent survey has found that 67 percent of Canadians believe a Trump presidency would be bad for Canada, and 49 percent felt that he would be very bad. That's crazy. Half of Canada feels that a Donald Trump would be very bad for Canada. Just 20% felt that he would be good for America's northern uh, neighbor. Only 1% of those surveyed didn't know who Donald Trump was, which that's great news for Donald. Don, they all know who you are. Fewer Canadians know much about Senator Ted Cruz, who was actually born in Calgary, as Donald brings up. What they do know they don't like, however, just 21% felt that the ultra-conservative senator would be good toward Canada. By a 55 to 34% margin, Canadians believe Hillary Clinton presidency would be good for Canada. And again, they don't know much about Bernie. So isn't that weird? They're They're pro Hillary. 
That's the problem with Canada. All the Republicans would say, see, you're all brainwashed. Poor, you know, Donald's having a hard go. You can see everybody's ganging up on him now. Yeah, right after he fell, they just started kicking him. He's like, he's down. Kick him, kick him, kick him. But this is what you get when you're you're so abrasive. You can't be abrasive for seven months where everyone's afraid of you. Because when, really, when you do stumble a bit, then it's like They're trying time. to take the alpha male spot. Yeah. And it gets gets dirty. It's a it's a crazy battle that's going on. Um but and especially when you think Donald, come on, what did he ever do to anybody? He's a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. Him and Adolf Hitler. <laughs> well, and Mandel or uh, and uh and Gandhi. It wasn't just Hitler. And well, and Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize before he had ever been president. What was that for again? For just talking about peace. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he did. Did Gandhi win? No. Oh, okay. I don't think he did. I think, yeah, he was on the list of those that were nominated but never won, which is amazing. How did Gandhi not win? Holy cow. Um, so that's that's going on. By the way, did you see that interesting news in um, CNN was talking about there is a loose jaguar in Arizona. And you got to go watch the video. We'll put it up on our Twitter feed. There's a jaguar in Arizona, which, you know, I, I, that just can't be good. These animals are <laughs> – they're monsters. And when you sit there and you, you watch the video, it's just walking through – it's not loose like in town, but it's near Tucson. But it's in the woods. They're trying to trap it. It's elusive. They can't get it. But you can just see some guy like that can't see some senior citizen that's down there, you know, in retirement. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Here, kitty. Honey, where's the dog? But a wild jaguar, the only one they know of in the United States. If you live near Tucson, folks, I'd bring the cat in. I'd bring the dog in. I wouldn't let your kids walk to school. There's a loose jaguar in the Santa Rita Mountains just outside Tucson. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. What is this world coming to? At least it's not a panther. That'll be on Sunday. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the solutions, the tools, what have you. The things you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, if you have children, you're going to want to listen up. We're going to give you the seven secrets of highly happy kids, which seems quite easy. Duh. Video games, sugar, Twinkies, a backyard, hmm, a trip to the zoo, and at my house, a ball. 
a trip to the zoo unless you live in Tucson, Arizona. If you live in Tucson, just in the Santa the Rita Mountains, there's a jaguar walking around. If you see a cat that has spots... And is five times bigger than any other cat. And has shoulders bigger than, you know... Your, your head. Your body. And does not give you any sort of meow sort yeah. of sound. right. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Oof. Here, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. Scary, man. I mean, you know, here in Utah, we're worried about mountain lions or cougars. Yeah. The the animal type, not the human type. And But they're not, I don't believe, as quite as big as a jaguar. No. Yeah, I could take a cougar. <laughs> <laughs> no, you couldn't. Famous last word. I think I can take it. That'd be kind of fun to see, though. Here, people we'll, would pay to see we'll that. We'll set it up. I'll put it up on Periscope. Watch yeah, Matt. We, we, we can organize that. Yeah, let's not do that. I'm really busy this week. Let's try it. Let's, maybe that's a March thing. Okay, a March stunt for Matt, us. How, Matt lo- takes how lucky a is Mart? We can do that. We do it like a St. Patrick's Day. Oh yeah. How lucky is Matt? And we'll throw you into random situations. See if you live. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Can Matt luck his way out of this? Yeah. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> I bet I could last with a cougar in a room, 12 by 12. Yeah. Give me six seconds. Six seconds? Well, I could probably stare it down for a sec. I mean, maybe maybe I could just – I've got this way to, like, put things into a trance. Okay. Like I mean, Crocodile Dundee? Mm-hmm. Or I, like, uh, I just talked to him for a while. You seen the Jurassic World? Yeah, where right. he where he controls the raptors? Right, it's just exactly like that? like that. Okay, mind it's mind control. Because every time I do it, when I talk to my wife long enough, she totally goes into a trance. Just, just kind of pretty much falls it, asleep. Is she just waiting for you to stop talking? Is that mm-hmm. what it is? Okay. Yeah. She's like, "Don't you need to go to your show or something?" She checks in every once in a while. You done? Nope. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, let's try that. Let's try that. I'll see mine set it up. Because you know what? Actually, this is that the thing's going to underestimate me because the funny thing about it, it thinks it has the advantage. The cougar would think it has an advantage on me because it's got teeth, sharp, mm-hmm. right. fast, yes. agile, doesn't have plantar. I don't even think it has a fa- plantar fascia. doesn't even no. have it. A general lack of fear of you. Uh-huh. Probably a curiosity, quite honestly. It'll walk in the door and go, oh, I can take that. That's mm-hmm. no problem. Look at that. What's so that? It, what it would do is it would jump and it would it would, might come over and jump. And okay. I would I would lure it to get closer to me. And then. Taze it. Now, we didn't talk Meow. about you having any sort of protection. You just said survive against. See wow. that? Wow. Well, yeah, but I would. Do you think I'd go anywhere without my taser? Well, no, I mean, you have to disclose the parameters of the contest. You can't just all oh, of a sudden I? start making up rules. Well, do we know everything the cougars got going on? No, we don't. <laughs> Who knows if the cougar's carrying? We don't know. I don't know where that cougar's been. Just saying. If you're going to mess with me, you better remember. Because okay. when, when, when you mess with the mat... Taze it. Interesting. That cougar would woe the day. It would woe the day. <laughs> Is that the word? It would be so, so mad. So much woe. And then you just, all you'd smell. Let me just set the mood. Okay. You would just smell burnt hair. 
Burnt I, kitty cat. <laughs> I, I'm not sure you'd be able to wear a BYU shirt to work ever again. That's true. Yeah. You don't want to kill the school mascot. <laughs> but I would only do it against a cougar, not a mountain lion. Or not a jaguar. Well, I, would, I wouldn't want to be in a 12 by 12 room with a jaguar. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't want to be in a, with a cougar either. No. Yeah. It's just a. It's interesting. What we like to do on the show sometimes is just take you on a little journey. Yeah, just take you down a rabbit hole, so to speak. <laughs> Does that feel like a rabbit hole? A little bit. No. It's like what happens when I open Wikipedia and click on a link, and then all of a sudden it's twenty minutes later. Twenty minutes what later. What just happened like, to my wow, life? Did somebody tase a cat? Because I smell cat hair. Is that what you think? Hey. um... <laughs> Anyway, here's a little just a little news update for you. Norwegian man foils a car thief while in his underwear. That's kind of where I was going with that at last time. Right. A Norwegian man uh, made a daring effort to save his his car after he was awoken by a, an attempted theft Wednesday morning, when the car owner 25 ran from his home without taking the time to dress himself. Uh, and he just grabbed onto his car door handle of his Volkswagen Passat as a thief attempted to drive it away. Hmm. So you can just see the guy trying to drive away in the Passat, the Norwegian man running down the street in his briefs or what have you. The car thief attempted to shake the man loose by driving through the snow at speeds as high as 56 miles per hour. Whoa. But the determined owner was ultimately able to make his way onto the roof. There you go. Wow. It's little, snow, little dedication it's to the snowy outside. Yeah. And he's on top of the roof. A cold roof, I'm sure. Yeah. He then successfully entered the car. Dun, 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 James Bond. <laughs> yeah. This is just some action flick. That's all this is. Made his way onto the roof. He then entered the car successfully by breaking the rear view window with his knee. Ooh. And was able to thwart the thief after running the car into a safety barrier. Hmm. Holy cow, Batman. So, I, I wonder what it was like being inside the car with him crawling all over the outside of the car. What do you mean? So, like, what what he's thinking while he's sitting in the car driving with this guy? It's like, why is this naked man not giving do up? Do you start swerving trying to shake him loose? Yeah, for sure. But then it's an icy road. Are you going to put yourself into the wall? Yeah, no. But when but if the if the band the brief bandit right or boxers we don't know we don't know. But he breaks his own car window, gets in the window, and then all of a sudden you got a half-dressed guy. But then he puts – then the car gets crashed into a safety barrier or some what kind. Whatever. Did he mess up the car? That, yeah. That's, that's what I'm concerned who about. Who wouldn't mess up their car? To get it back? Your morning's already ruined. But he, he got his dignity. I think that's what's important. Actually, he probably <laughs> didn't. He's standing there filling out a report in his briefs. Or boxers. Don't judge. No. Wow. Yeah, that's an intense story. You know what? It must uh, have been quite a car. If I were going to wager, that's going to be a Monday night movie. You think so? At Probably. least a, a scene or two? Mm-hmm. Nice. Or it already has been. Maybe. But he put his knee through the rear window and then climbed in through the broken glass. Bad to the bone. That's right. Don't mess with him. Sub-zero temperatures. He's lucky his body didn't just get stuck to the roof. Could have been. We've all seen the the story of the the flagpole and you stick your tongue mm-hmm. to it, right? So, well, and honestly, would you really go to that effort to get your car? I don't know. No, I wouldn't. It's like, eh, me. They'll find it somewhere. I would probably still be in bed 
thinking, man, they're making a lot of noise in my garage. It's cold. I'm going to go back to sleep. wonder if the Jaguar is here. Is that a Jaguar in my garage? Crazy stuff. Uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the world we need to really worry about? There is. Thanks, Matt. Bernie Sanders didn't name any names when he unleashed a Twitter storm Wednesday, but there was a little question that his target was Democratic rival Hillary Clinton. The criticism continued into last night's Democratic town hall, where Bernie Sanders seemed to question just how progressive Hillary Clinton really is. We are taking on the most powerful political organization in the country. You can't be a moderate and a progressive. They are different. I do not know any progressive who has a super PAC and takes $15 million from Wall Street. All have been supported by people that have, I guess, knowledge of the situation as being, you know, good questions to ask. Yeah. And the answers from Hillary Clinton are, well, you know, that's how we play the game. Yeah. Basically, is kind of how she summed it up. Clinton and Sanders will debate tonight at the University of New Hampshire. Watch uh, MSNBC has coverage at 9 Eastern if you want to uh, follow I mean, it's, I, it's another great night. Another great night. Uh, Bernie Sanders has over double the voter support of Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire, according to a new poll. Sanders leads the Democratic presidential frontrunner by 33 points. Uh, let's see. He takes 63% to uh, Clinton's 30% in the, as they keep calling it, the Granite State. Because yeah. you can't say New Hampshire over and over, so no. you have to have a different way. The to say Granite it. State, but sixty-three to thirty. Oh wow! Yeah, uphill battle for Hillary Clinton in yeah. that, that state. She wants to get down to the South. On the Republican side, Donald Trump thirty-eight percent to Ted Cruz's fourteen percent, Marco Rubio's twelve, Jeb Bush and others in single digits. But not um, Rand Paul, not Rick Santorum, as they're both out. How accurate do you think this polling is, Matt? Uh, without even hearing it. Not accurate at all. 38% to 14%. Not accurate. So you don't think Trump has that big a lead? No. What about Bernie Sanders? Do you think he has that big of a lead? 63 to 30 yeah, over but, Hillary Yeah, but Clinton. I think that, that could actually become a problem because then everyone's like, yeah, he's got it. Yeah, and then uh, people stay home yeah. with an overwhelming lead. Yeah. About 69% of voters said they would definitely vote for Trump versus 31% who admitted that they could change their mind. Hmm. So it could be solid numbers for Plus, him. let's be real, uh, Theodore Cruz could also cheat. He could. He could say that Marco Rubio's headed home mm-hmm. to get some, some clothes That's or exactly something. right. And Marco could be bit at, by Chris Christie and need to go get stitches. Could happen. Because Christie's been gnawing on his leg for the last day. That's how it works. He says yesterday uh, – uh, Governor Christie said that him and Marco, that's thats the race. Everyone yeah. knows it. It's between Marco and Chris Christie. That's the only people running anymore. <laughs> but then Jeb's like, huh? Yeah, Jeb's like, what? What? Hold it? John, well, I'm still running. John Kasich's like, well, everyone has their own opinion. See, some are saying Kasich's going to do a little roundabout. Yeah. Ooh, this could be interesting. Ben Carson's, who's bid, who's, uh, bid for the Republican presidential nomination, has struggled as of late, will cut more than 50% of his staff and reduce salaries. As they uh, continue to uh, deal with their current uh, situation, instead of flying on private jets, Carson may soon return to commercial flights. So keep your eyes out if you're flying around any caucus or primary locations. But can you imagine anything worse for him than having to sit next to somebody in first class and talk politics? So what do you do? I'm a brain surgeon. <laughs> the employees being released, about half of Carson's campaign mostly work in the field operations mm. and the headquarters in Northern Virginia. The incoming freshmen at Oral Roberts University will, will be required to wear a Fitbit that will track their exercise habits, sleep, weight, 
and then send information to the school. And it isn't just about shame and surveillance for their own sakes. The students will be graded on their work. On their work out, their health? Yeah, their health. Wow. The NBC, as NBC News points out, Oral Roberts has always had a mandatory fitness component to registration at the school. Interesting. Before students would manually track their activities themselves, then turn in a written log to the school, now the information will come straight from the Fitbit. And they, they even said it's great because if one of our students goes around the world to volunteer in another country, all that information comes right back to us. So they're being tracked basically wherever they go. It used to just be that they'd say, God is watching. Yeah. But now it's the IT department. Yeah. <laughs> that is... That's scary. I hope BYU doesn't do that. So what do you think? Would you would you sign off on that? Well, uh, yeah, but I'd play the system. How would that? I'd take give, the Fitbit off, put it I'd on take a dog my or Fitbit something? Off. Yeah, and, yeah, give it to the cougar. I'd take it off and have my wife wear it. Then they'd be like, "Woo, you're killing it. You're like, yeah, well, yeah. you know. But you look like crud. <laughs> What's your problem? I don't know. It's just my body type. It's, I can't overcome this. It's genes. Yeah. I've got bad genes. It said you ran four miles today. Yeah, I did. But you never left the office. I know. I run in place. Crazy stuff. Hey, if you got kids, uh, you got to stick with us. Our next guest, Katie Hurley, will be joining us. She wrote a wonderful article on Huffington Post called Seven Secrets of Highly Happy Children. And you know what's cool about parenting today? Folks, you're doing a great job. Uh, Parents, you know, sometimes you don't think you are, but you know, we're getting a lot of stuff right, and uh, Katie's going to walk us through the things that make happy kids. And I'm going to bet a lot of them you're getting done one way or another. Stick with us, folks. We're figuring out uh, families and children, healthy, happy kids. That's the next topic. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Seven secrets of highly happy kids. You know, these days, kids are running from class to class, from one activity to the next. Think about it. These kids today, they're more organized, structured. They've got more going on than you had till you were when you were 30 years old. They're getting a lot done. But, uh, you know, there's very little unstructured playtime. Often kids' development comes before their happiness, and we wanted to be... Uh, focusing on our children and, and, and give you some ideas for how you can uh, help your kids to be happier. Our guest today is Katie Hurley, author of the article, uh, Seven Secrets of Highly Happy Kids for the Huffington Post. She joins us now from Los Angeles. Uh, Katie, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Good to have you. And you have a website called practicalkatie.com, right? I sure do. Yep, that's right. It's a great uh, source just for parenting. You're a psychotherapist, an LCSW. You've been working with kids. And, and this article, I, I, really, um, I really enjoy it. Do you think, just as a pro, Katie, do you think that we're, we're over-programming the kids? We're doing too much today? I do. I really do. I see it in my office when the kids become so highly stressed that they need help and they end up on my couch and I see it out in my own community. I have two young kids and, 
you know, so we do a few things here and there, but I'm very underscheduled by design, and I'm a bit of a mystery to the people around me, I think, yeah. <laughs> some of the time. You'll, I mean, and it, you, uh, once you're with your friends and your neighbors, and they're all saying, yeah, well, our kids are playing Super League, and they're in choir, and um, you start feeling like, man, I'm not pushing my kids hard enough. But really, you're saying maybe that's healthy. Yeah, I mean, and that is part of the struggle, is that parents really do feel an inordinate amount of pressure right now to get to prepare their kids to be everything and do everything. We're, like, trying to raise this generation of super kids, you know. And so when everybody's talking about it and everybody's involved in everything all the time, it's really hard to be the one person who stands up and says, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I've had these conversations with parents. I, my book, The Happy Kid Handbook, came out in October, and I go and I speak to groups of parents at schools and community organizations, and that's always the big question at the end of the presentation is, but how do we stop? If the town is doing it and all the people are doing it and, and all these things are available, how do we make it stop? And I, I keep saying it just takes one person to start a revolution, but you have to be willing to do it. So true. And, and not buy into the the you know the the talk with your rest of your friends because I mean, really unhealthy is unhealthy it it's you can see it in your kid's face when it's just too much it's true i mean these kids they're exhausted they they're not eating properly because they're eating in the car on the way to baseball practice mm-hmm. you know, they're not sleeping enough because baseball practice is running into their sleep time three nights a week i mean it's it's just this generation of children who are zombies they're tired and they're hungry and they're not getting enough time to play by themselves and they're not getting enough time to just play with whoever's in the neighborhood and you know we're allowing it to continue because we think it's going to get them into harvard but it's probably not yeah (laughs) see that's it that's why the zombie apocalypse movies are so big (laughs) because everyone relates to it when i was a kid you didn't relate to a zombie not at all. <laughs> That's so sad, but true. Hey, now, but this is different than the way we used to do it. I mean, but and what do you see are the biggest differences? Well, people keep asking me what was different 30 years ago. And, you know, first of all, all of this stuff wasn't available 30 years ago. I mean, kids really started youth sports around fourth grade mm-hmm. in the 80s and the 70s and 80s. And now childhood has sort of become big business. You know, you drive around any town in America and two-year-olds are playing soccer, which... Oh. If you step back and look at it, right. the absurdity of it is right there in right. front of you. you no know? one scores a goal. It's just a big right. mound of flesh. <laughs> Two-year-olds don't need soccer. You know, they they might have fun with a ball in the park with their right. mom or dad, you know, but yeah. they don't need organized soccer. So, you know, part of it is just that so much is available. And then part of it is the landscape of fear for parents has changed. I mean, the world is feels more competitive than it used to, whether or not that's true. I mean, I I keep saying to parents, every generation has had their stress. You know, you just, you were a kid when your parents were raising you, so you don't know what their stress was. That's true. You you can't remember that. You didn't feel it in the same way. So, you know, but our generation now says, well, it's, it's so hard to get into college. It's so hard to get into college. But if you watch now what's happening with Harvard and the Graduate School of Education there that's doing a ton of research on, you know, empathy and kindness, you know, they're really turning around and saying, well, what colleges should be looking for in the future are not these super kids who can do it all and get a community service project off the ground, but, <laughs> you know, good kids, good kids who are just kind and empathic and, you know, hard workers, but also just kids who really have a passion and know what they want in life. Oh, that could be my kid. And, and you know what else is funny is how many of these people today are also saying there's other ways to get education than a university. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. even that whole game could be changing in the next 20 years or even the personalized learning world where these kids are going to start more customizing their learning. Absolutely. I mean, I found myself just the other day out of curiosity looking into a, a school program out here that's very individualized learning. And, you know, kids go and they show up for one-to-one instruction mm-hmm. for a couple hours a day, and, and that's their learning from 6th to 12th grade. And, you know, more and more people are looking into alternatives because – Academics have also changed. You know, we've pushed down academics so much in this country that you know, kindergartners are are p- practically second graders at this point, and it's the stress of that alone is just monumental for children and for their families because you know parents are coming home with enormous homework packets for kindergartners, which is ridiculous because <laughs> you know now here I am going around the country telling the parents. You need to let your kids play. You need to let them make up their own games and have fun and problem solve on their own and do their own thing. And they're like, but I have an hour of homework every day that I have to do with them. That is so. unbelievable. In kindergarten. In kindergarten. So. I mean, do you remember what you were doing in kindergarten? I'm pretty sure I was, you know, throwing mud at my brother in yeah. the backyard. Yeah. First grade, I was playing kissing tag. Yeah. And I was horrible at it. They kept catching me. Um, but it's, oh, Wow. I mean, again, so this is going to impact the happiness of children. You wrote an article in Huffington Post called Seven Secrets of Happy Children. Why don't you start running us through some of those secrets? What what do happier children have that may be uh, the less happy or just – and the parents may not even know it. They, they might think their kids are happy, but as you run down the list, I think a lot of us will get a big eye-opener. Right. I don't have the article right in front of me. So no, I've got it. I'll, I'll pro- I'll yeah, I will. I'll cue you through it. You brought up one already is just they eat on time. Right. They eat on a, you know, a schedule. When, when, yeah, on a schedule. I mean, when, ba- when we have babies, doctors always recommend at some point, like, well, you know, they'll fall into a pattern, and that sort of becomes their schedule, and that sort of makes good sense. And then, you know, when they're toddlers, you know, make sure they have snacks because they can't make it long enough between meals. And then all of a sudden they get to be grade schoolers, and we start throwing them totally off track. And they're one night they're having dinner at 5, and the next night it's 8. And, you know, one day they're having breakfast at this hour, and then it's three hours later the next. And that's really not good for people in general. I mean, right. it's, it's not good for kids at all, but it's not even good for adults. You know, when you talk to nutritionists, they say try to stick to a schedule. You know, don't oversleep by four hours on Saturday to try to catch up because you really do throw yourself off, Mm. you know, when you change your whole schedule. So, you know, making sure that they stay somewhat on schedule. Of course, there are going to be occasions where you're at some family dinner and things go late, so they eat a little later. But, you know, try to have a normative schedule in there so that kids know their bodies know they're going to be fed at a certain time and they're, you know, and they keep, you keep refueling them. Yeah, it's, oh, you're making me feel guilty. Last night, my son's birthday, we had uh, a birthday party at 7.30 where we ate and consumed huge Mexican food and meal. And then at 8.15, we had a 45-minute schedule for the party. And at 8.15, we quickly then went and took him to his basketball practice. <laughs> Where he ran around with a side ache, oh. and, and I'm thinking, what are we doing to our right. children? Who, by the, off the rails. And by the way, he's 11 now. What 11 year old is starting a basketball practice at 8:15 at night? Isn't that awful? Though my seven year old son has basketball practice at six to seven on Friday nights. So uh, oh yeah, week I want perfect. To That's right. Ruin a marriage. Yes. <laughs> that, like yeah, we don't need parents married anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
let's just ruin that. But again, the reason that is is because the basketball team at the high school they need this, they need the gym. Yeah. So let's just have the eleven-year-olds practice later. But but it's a competitive league again, and it's right. you're thinking, right. yeah, but it'll be good for him because someday he'll go pro. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So we so, the so, NBA. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I have a feeling that may not happen. Um, the uh, the. One key is they're eating healthy and on schedule and on time. And they're number two, they're getting the consistent sleep you were talking about. If you've ever had a teenager, you know what inconsistent sleep looks like. Right. Right? And, you know, sleep deprivation among children and adolescents is a huge problem right now in America. Huge. Oh, yeah. The kids are shaving off. I think they, they said it's about like one and a quarter hours per night of sleep. And when you go into sleep debt, you know, it only takes two nights to go into sleep debt. When you go into sleep debt, you're, I mean, I, you know, you've been, a, you're a parent, so you've been, yeah. certainly you've been sleep deprived. Oh yeah, still am. You know, when you go into that sleep debt, it's like you can't, I mean, there have been times where I've gotten into my car and said, you know what, I should not be driving my car right now to uh-huh. get out of my car because it's really that bad. It's that significant that your brain just doesn't function properly. And then we send the kid to school on right. test day. On test day, and and even not on test days, and then they get you know they get in trouble for either misbehaving because they're so tired that they start acting out, or for spacing out mm-hmm. and not keeping up with their assignments, and so we, it's really a setup for failure all over the place. Oh, in fact, and then the, the, my teens come home and they go take a nap on the couch, right? Which is telling us something. It is, and you know it's interesting because. I think it's up in Seattle where a few schools are trying the later schedule for teens and mm-hmm. starting school later. And some of the parents are really fighting it and saying, you know, no, we want them out the door by 7 a.m. But they're finding that the kids are doing better when they start at 9 because teens do naturally go to bed a little later. That's their circadian rhythm. So when we start school a little later, that allows them sufficient time to sleep. Heaven forbid. It's just, again, we get this idea that the schedule ends up leading us instead of the child and the, and the need right. of the child. Exactly. Interesting. Katie, let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and, and continue the list of seven, seven things that happy children, um, seven secrets of highly happy kids. Uh, more with Katie Hurley and uh, her great work for, on her website, practicalkatie.com. Stick with us, folks, giving you the insight of what helps create healthy, happy children. Fun stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Appreciate uh, Ben bringing in his own music today. Yeah, it's it's this or, or Barney, so. Oh, is this Barney? No, no, this isn't Barney, this but isn't that's Barney. that's like This is Karen O and the kids. All is love. Good stuff. Hey, uh, today we're talking about um, happy kids, raising healthy, highly happy kids. Seven Secrets, and our guest is Katie, Tur- uh, Katie Hurley from um, the website practicalkatie.com. She wrote an article that was in the Huffington Post called The Seven Secrets of Highly Happy Children, and she's been walking us through some of those. One is that they, you know, they get sleep, they eat on time, they're eating healthy on a schedule. But another one, Katie, is uh, they're, they're playing with, in, with, without instruction. They're just able to go have some unstructured play. 
Right, and that's a really big one and often overlooked right now. I mean, I, the single biggest difference between now and then, you know, in my own childhood is kids don't play anymore. Right. You know, kids, kids don't climb trees as much as they used to. You know, you can, you can go all day without seeing a kid in a tree. And in 1980, <laughs> kids were all over trees. You yeah. Know, they were just, I mean, I spent my childhood in Connecticut wandering the woods with my brother and my best friend making up games and you know, stuff. Yeah. Kids really don't, from toddlers on up, they don't do that anymore. And what parents forget is that when you put kids in these activities all the time, there's always someone telling them what to do and how to do it. You know, even the little toddler art classes, they're being told how to do it. And, you know, with toddlers, they really should just be sticking their hands in the finger paint and figuring it out on their own and, you know, splattering it and making a mess. And, mm touching it and feeling it and smelling it and, you know, understanding it from their senses. And we've really lost sight of that. And then we stick older kids in class after class after class after school so that their weeks are packed and they don't have any time to just tap into dramatic play and imaginative play, mm. you know. And then when they do have that time, we and God bless Legos, you know, I love oh, Legos. Yeah. But yeah. even Legos are so structured now. You know, you follow a book of instructions that's like four zillion pages right. long. Yeah. You know, no, and and to even make something perfect, and then it's like, well, that's done. So I guess that's over. Exactly. Know? I mean, you remember because you could have two or three or four toys as a child that you could play for hours with. Oh yeah, forever. And even if they weren't the same size, like I had a horse. And a leg that was bigger than my Lego guy by far. And yeah. it all worked. Didn't matter. And yeah. the horse could, sure, the horse could drive on top of the car. Sure. Right, right, sure. It's a horse. Yeah. And well, um, my brother and I used to, we used to mingle his Matchbox cars with my Strawberry Shortcake doll. Oh, for sure. And that was like weeks of play. Exactly. You know? It's true. And now um, I also just see these kids then when they're done and they have a free time, they they don't go to unstructured play. What they do is they go to one of their games on their phone. Uh, yeah. And now it's, again, structured, designed for you to do what they want you to do. It's true. It's true. And I, you know, I try not to sound anti-technology because there's a right. part of me that loves technology. You know, my husband's a musician and, and he travels frequently and, you know, by the, by God's grace of FaceTime, do we all stay in touch when he's on the road? But it's, you know, kids are way too plugged in today. And oh. It's just, it's become a coping mechanism. You know, they're upset, you give them the phone. They're, you know, worried, you give them the phone. They're bored, you give them the phone. It's become like the automatic answer to any potential problem. And then parents call me and they say, you know, my kid drives me bananas. He just, he can't be bored for like a minute. And I say to them, but when has he had the opportunity to be bored? I mean, I love being bored, but being bored is a skill. You, mm-hmm. know? you have to learn right. it. You have to practice it. Well, in fact, and have you ever, you've, I'm sure you've heard of the game Minecraft. Yes. So, but, but then this is another weird thing because Minecraft is a, a brilliant game of unstructured play where you can go in and right. create and it's kind of like Legos in a way. But um, the funny thing is, is I don't think parents have a clue what their kids are building. Because no idea. so, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what I've just found is I try to go in and see what my children are building and you're amazed. Yeah. It's incredible it's what really they're doing. Yeah. Right. It's true. 
But, but so imagine if you just gave them, I mean, and that's great, and that has a place, right, you know, and there's right. teachers who bring Minecraft into the classroom and use it, you know, as a teaching lesson, which is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, bridging technology and education, great. But when that's the only thing, exactly. it's not so great. And then imagine what happens if you just give them a giant bin of random Legos in primary <laughs> colors, and then, right. then what can they build? Now you know? build me something. Right. Well, and, and parents, I think we just, we could, we can, we can initiate it by thinking out of the box a little bit more. Just just add a, be different. Do something different with your kids one night. Yeah. What yeah. about uh, expression? Um, you know, because back in the day, we didn't necessarily dare say what we were thinking. It seems like the kids today are allowed to express a little bit more than we used to. I think they are a little bit. I think the thing is, but like my parents were not afraid of temper tantrums. Were they probably annoyed by them? Yeah, I would sure. guess. You know, yeah. but they weren't like afraid of them. This generation of parents were so afraid for our kids to have any sort of a meltdown. It's we'll go to any lengths to avoid it. So, yeah, that's true. And that's what's not good. It's just not healthy because you know I always say to parents, but. You know, a temper tantrum, really all it is, is I'm super frustrated and I don't know how to say it, but I know this is going to work. You know, yeah. I know this is going to get your time. And that's what kids do. You know, they, until they learn how to cope with stuff, that's how it starts out, you know, and then they learn. You know, we teach them and they learn to cope and they get better skills, but it takes time. And I think, you know, we spend so much time trying to mute the negative emotions and pretend that everything's fine, but really what happens is kids just stuff their feelings down and it snowballs and it just gets worse the next time it comes out. That's so true. We are, yeah, we try to incubate, I guess, our children Yeah. from emotion, from pain, even from choice. Another one of your points is uh, the healthiest kids get to make choices in their lives. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I mean, you know, I always thought of my mom as like, there were four kids in my family. You know, she had to have it down to a science. You know, uh-huh. my dad would travel. So she definitely had to have a system, and she had a system. So I try to think back, like, did I get to make a lot of choices? I remember when she'd make me wear these outfits I didn't want to wear and things <laughs> like that. But, but, you know, but today we're so – we're all about control. We're trying to figure out how to get them from A to B, and, you know, A being infancy and B being Stanford. And <laughs> we're so focused on that that we make so many choices for them without ever – stopping to think like, well, what would you want to do? I mean, I had a mom come up to me after the soccer season ended and she's like, you know, I really just want my kid to keep playing soccer. Now this was the one, every team has one kid who picks daisies, you know, that's yeah, right. natural. And, it, and I said, well, you know, if he seemed to have fun, then, you know, go for it. And she said, yeah, but you know, he's not very good. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. He's seven, you know, he's seven years old. Who cares? And she seemed worried. And I said, well, what does he like to do? And she said, well, Legos. And I said, well, so why don't you just let him play Legos then? And she said, because he has to do something, you know. And I said, but why? He loves Legos. Why can't he oh. do Legos? I said, if you put your hand in the air and say, I got a boy that loves Legos and not soccer, you will find another mother who has that boy. That is so true. You know, that's we're afraid to speak up and be different from, you know, what's considered the norm. And somehow today the norm is athletic at age seven. And yeah. that's, that doesn't make any sense. Well, no, I just had a room full of um, parents whose Kids are all taking uh, music lessons, and yeah. and it's funny how many times just your child. It's funny that your husband is a musician, but um, how many times the parents, when their kid says, "I think I just want to be a musician," right. <laughs> this there's this there's this sick feeling in the parent's stomach, like no, 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 no. 
So he tells the story when he announced that so he he gave up all his sports and he was he actually was pretty athletic. So his dad would coach him in baseball and you know had high hopes for him. And at age eleven, he declared that he was giving up all sports to protect his hands. <laughs> and, and he dad, I'm a musician. Of, like the sheer look of shock on his father's <laughs> face when he. You know, that is so true. And how many times then do you see as a counselor the child come back later as a teen or, you know, a young adult where they're saying, um, I, I've always felt this weird pressure to be something I'm not because my parents wouldn't let me just be me. I wanted yeah. to just stay home and do whatever, but they wouldn't let me be me. It happens all the time. I have children sit on my couch and say, I just want to be a kid. Yeah. Oh, and- wow. I can't, you know, and I can't communicate that to the parents. I can say it over and over again, but they don't. Right now, they're not able to hear it because they're so busy being busy. I mean, that's a large part of the problem is this culture of busy that this generation created. You know, it's a badge of honor to be busy. And I really, even though I have weeks when I'm really busy, I mean, I see clients, I wrote, you know, I'm promoting my book, I'm yeah. freelance writing. I, there are weeks when I am genuinely super busy, but I make a huge effort to not answer the question, how's your week with busy? Because I don't, you know, that's not what I'm most proud of. Being busy isn't a source of pride for me. And sometimes it's a source of exhaustion, you oh, know, yeah. but we, this is a generation of people who think that doing it all is, is some sort of badge of honor. And mm. really, it's impacting our children negatively. And, and really, the healthy, happy kid is, is like you're saying, they're being heard. Um, yeah. they're, they're, they have a parent that's attuned and listening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I get some flack sometimes for that because, you know, I, I believe we do need to listen to what our children are saying. You know, we treat them like they're little robots and we can program them for success. And, you know, they have feelings and they get exhausted sometimes, even when they haven't had a busy week. You know, they're growing and growing is tiring and learning is tiring and they have enough on their plates. And I think, you know, we need to become a generation of people who respects children and says, you know, we want them to respect us, but we also need to respect them and listen when they have needs and and empathize with them and, you know, sit down and say with them, you know what? I remember that. That's really hard when the kids won't sit with you at lunch. I know that feeling, and that really stinks. You know, because when we get into the habit of that, of just empathizing with our kids and making them feel like just normalizing the things right. that are hard, then our kids feel better about themselves and about the world around them, and they are empowered to get out there and try again. Well, and that's all you're doing in therapy. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it always amazes me when a client comes in and you seem to be able to get so much more out of the child. Right. And, and all you're really doing is taking everything they're saying and kind of not, not, not fully believing it, but hearing it. Right. You're just exactly. you're taking all the clues that they're giving. And the parents probably could actually have so many more clues than you ever could. We just don't tune in. It's true. And I, and I say that to, because they'll say because moms will say to me, I can't believe she said that to you. And I'll say, well, you know, but I'm not her mom, so there's no right. pressure. You know, I'm, I'm going, she knows that I'm going to empathize with her no matter what she says. And I say that to kids in my office all the time where I say, look, I care about you no matter what. There's nothing you can tell me that's going to make me be disappointed in you or not like you or not want to help you. You know, yeah. you can tell me anything. And that's, you know, which brings us to unconditional love. You know, parenting is hard, and sometimes kids make choices that are disappointing, you know, and kids mess up. They do, and they're going to, and they will at every single stage. You know, you know you've got teenagers. It never goes yeah, away. That, right. 
you know, they make mistakes. Some of them are huge. Some of them are small. Like, it's our job to love them anyway, yeah. you know, and to not let those mistakes define who we think they are as individuals. And, and you can do that and still correct them. Absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just give us a quick way to do that. So if I've, if my child's done something that is disappointing, that's against our values, that is harmful or dangerous, or uh, what do I say to make sure they know I still love them and correct them? Well, you know, I always encourage parents, and it feels backwards to do it this way, but I always encourage parents to remind your kid that you love them first. Yeah, exactly. So instead of, you know, the instinct is to jump, in, jump into consequence mode. You know, you've done something wrong, you're going to get a huge consequence. But for me, what I always encourage parents to do is to say, you know what, Liam, I, you made a huge mistake today, but I really love you, and I care about you, and I'm going to help you through this, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about how we're going to fix it, but I want you to know that I just I really love you, and I really care about you, and I know you can do better, so let's just figure out how to do better. And then you move into yeah. you know, picking apart fix, what, what right. went wrong. You I know, love because that. The kids are genuinely afraid when they've done things wrong. They know when they're yeah, right. up. You know, they're sitting there in guilt, either hoping they don't get caught or knowing that they did get caught and now my mom's not going to love me anymore. Uh-huh. And, you know, certainly you don't want them to feel that way. Yeah, you don't want love to be in question, do you? No. The love's, no. The love's stable. It's constant. You it know, is. the mood, mom might be frustrated. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and, cool. And that's another thing, too, that I always say to parents is, you tell, you know, tell your kids how you feel. I mean, there's no law that you can't tell your kids how you feel. You know, when I'm having a tough day, I'll say to, say to my kids, like, you know what, I'm, I'm super frustrated right now, and I'm feeling impatient. So let me just take a minute. I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. Yeah. I'm going to take five minutes to just stare out the window, and then I'll get back to you. Yeah. And that's okay. It's good for kids to see that parents have bad moments, bad days, bad feelings, you know, because that also normalizes just the range of emotions that humans experience. So, so true. Well, Katie, I think it's a great it's a great list, and uh, you're a great resource. Again, practicalkatie.com is the website. Thanks again, Katie Hurley, for being with us. Great stuff. Thanks so much for having me. We've learned so much. Um, parents, I mean, it's these are your kids. I know, we know you love them. There's, you, there's just no end to the amount of skills we could all be getting. But uh, pay attention. The kids are telling you whether you're paying attention or not. The information's there. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up the second hour of the show. Stick with us, folks. Helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, the, the research is its coming out. There's a lot of really amazing, I think, stuff that we're finding out as parents. And don't be discouraged um, because, in a way, when we think about it, it's a learning process, right? And I want us all to just be thinking, okay, how can I keep improving the process? How can I keep taking this to the next level? Um it's not something you're going to perfect. It's something because, as I've just been learning with my own kids, every relationship is different. Um, I have my third child about to leave home for two years uh, to go um, on an LDS mission. And when he goes, I'm, I have three kids remaining at home. And I looked at the one last night, the fourth child, and I looked him in the eye and I said, you know, 
we're going to have a lot of time in the next few years <laughs> to uh, talk. And he didn't look pleased. He didn't look excited about it. I don't know why. But I started thinking, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in these kids that are older and um, and trying to help them kind of launch while at the same time kind of neglecting the other children. And so it, it's, it's a game. And I just realized, okay, I got to pick up my game with these other kids and, and spend more time and attention with them. Um, so I'm learning. Everybody does. Parenting 101, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. Kids are pretty malleable. They're pretty flexible. But learn. So ask yourself today, what's one thing you need to do better with your children? You know, based on what we just learned from Katie Hurley, what's one thing that came to mind where you thought, I really need to let this happen more? Or I need to allow my kids to have a little more unstructured play. What is it? And just go try it. And we'll learn. And we'll adapt. In fact, next hour, we're going to continue talking about parenting. There's some interesting research about the collapse of parenting where kids nowadays are controlling their parents more than than they probably should. And so we'll be speaking uh, next hour on the subject with Dr. Leonard Sachs. So stick with us for that. We're going to take a break. Um, and uh, coming up, we'll be talking with Leonard Sachs. We'll probably get into more headlines. I'm sure one way or another, Trump will be involved <laughs> And um, we'll also be talking next hour to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out about their wrap-up of signing day for the, uh, for the new uh, college recruits. So stick with us, folks. Having fun, doing what we can to give you the tools to live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Um, I've decided I made a career to mistake. And it may be career-ending. I've decided I'm I'm declaring my um, intent to play pro basketball after watching Steph Curry. Thank you. Why is this? Thank you. Thank you all. Um, because, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm a baller. Well, no, you you sigh like I, I did. I I go ahead. I don't want to crush any dreams that you're okay. Good. Um, holding I'm a baller on to for thirty Steph, years, <clears throat> thirty plus years, thirty plus years. Steph uh, had his eleventh. No, his yeah eleventh is that right? Three. No, he's had he's had he had eleven three pointers last night. Yes. He had seven in the first. But quarter. he had. He ended up having like fifty something points. Fifty one points for the game. Yeah, that honestly, that used to be me. Have you seen my crossover? Uh, no, we don't usually spend much time playing basketball. No, I'm actually looking for it. Have you seen it? Did you <laughs> have kidding. one before? That's a joke. Um, I have a great crossover, ankle breaking crossover, and then I like to fade back. 
pop uh-huh. tray. Really? So does every other kid who plays basketball now. Yeah. Yeah. As some people say, it might be ruining the game. They do. They do. They think Steph's ruining the game because all the kids are popping trays. But it's actually true. In my kids' little league, everybody's shooting threes now. When I was coaching little league, I wouldn't let my kids shoot threes. No. They were like one for ten or whatever. No. It would make sense to get closer to the basket. You yeah. have a better chance of making the shot. Mm-hmm. I also wouldn't let my kids dunk. Mainly because they couldn't. Right. It's a low percent shot. Yeah. So, um, but nowadays these kids, we've got kids on on our teams that are like, you know, shooting 40%, 35%, 38% threes. Hmm. That's not bad for a 10-year-old. Yeah. Changing the game. But I think I'm going to get back in it. I feel like if I just, if I work out more, Hmm. plantar's healed. Okay. It's a bonus. You kind of need that. Yeah. But now I'm more agile. Got great lateral movement. Mm. What? Just, I have my doubts. You've never seen me move laterally. I've seen you move. But not laterally. I wouldn't wouldn't characterize it as spry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wouldn't use that word either. No, I mean, you're good for your advanced experience. Thank you. Yeah. Walking to the studio every morning? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect but, form. No, but that's what I'm saying. If I get in shape, I'm just saying it's not, out, it's not out of the realm of possibility. No, I, I think it might be. Did There's a lot of things that nobody well, who, would think were possible. Did anybody think Donald Trump would be leading the national polls? Did I, anybody I, think I that? I think there, at the time when he announced, I think there would be a better possibility of him getting to the point where he is now – than you getting to the NBA. Really? Yes. Shoot for the stars, Matt. Not not to crush any dreams. Whatever. But again, you've been holding on to for 30 plus years. I just say whatever. I mean, it just, when I watch Steph, I see myself. Hmm. My suggestion would be buy a video game and live through that. Oh, I do. Don't and, get me wrong. And, and try not to do anything else because ligaments tear and uh, they're painful, so... Yeah. Yeah. Just just a tip. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like that tip. You don't have to take it. I'm just saying. This is my opportunity guys, to give you some advice. You're just downers. Not really. Kind of. More realist. Um, well, then you just mark the day. Okay. Which day? Today. Today's the day to mark? This is <laughs> when you said, I am going to... You've said it before, so... Yeah. I didn't mean it back then. Okay, so what what do you want me to mark exactly? You're marking it? Yeah. Uh, this is the day that Matt decided to to declare okay, his d- eligibility for the NBA draft. And so NBA D or NBA? Uh, let's go C. C. NBA C. Okay, good. When is the NBA draft? Usually in uh, June or... Perfect. Yeah, June. Okay, perfect. The end of June. So I'll have four-ish months to get ready. Four-ish? Right. Okay. Okay. But I, I, I look forward to the progress. Leaps and bounds, literally, over the next few weeks. The day has been marked. On a chalkboard, apparently. Yeah. That's all we have in the studio. It's kind of weird. I know. Low-tech. Low-tech. <laughs> Amazing high-tech, but low-tech. Um, you're going you're gonna to woe the day. 
Isn't it like Rue the Day? No, I like Woe. You like Woe the Day? Okay. Some people say Rue. I like Woe because that's what people say when they see me drop for a tray, when I fade for a tray. Woe. Hmm. That's what they say. Right. Hey, um, today, Doctor. Is it no? It might be no. You can't. I can't quite hear. I can't hear because my sinuses are clogged. Understood. It might be no. (laughs) No. Don't do it. Don't drop fade for the tray. Um, We're going to be talking with Doctor Leonard Sachs about parenting and how it's collapsed. Do you see this? Um, Where where kids are running the house? Yeah, a lot of times. Oh yeah. Because they're smarter, and they know we're tired. So they just say, you know, I can just wear you out. You'll give in. My wife says all the time to my, my child, why do you boss me around? <laughs> because he's always telling her what to do. Yeah. She goes, I love not having control over my own body because he grabs her hand and they go off and do things. Well, you know what she needs to say? Like she, when he grabs her hand, she needs to pull it away and say, why are you always bossing me around? Yeah. It's reverse. You just play it in reverse. You could do that. Then see what he says. And then whatever he says, that's what she says to him the next time he says. Why are you always bossing me? I usually tell her, choose to be the adult that outweighs the child and just stand there. As he pulls, you don't move. That's another way to do it. Because she's always like, he's pulling me around the house. Just stop moving. You know, you solve that No, you know what you do? You drop to the ground. You drop like a fainting goat. You could do that. You just drop. Or a possum. I think that might be a little bit. Possums drop, goats don't. No, fainting goats. Fainting do. goats do. Just oh, really? Look at it on YouTube. Okay, I'm wrong. No, it's not the first time. You're, no, you were close. <laughs> does this does it come that children start taking over the family situation because parents are reluctant to say yeah. no? We're not because, asserting ourselves. Well, is, is it because saying no is 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 negative and you should encourage your child to do things and yeah. so you get into this habit of allowing them to do an abundance of things, and then they feel like they just run the, run the world. Right. But the dilemma is you, you can't. You gotta, your kids need you to push back in order to understand how to be healthy. And where the limits are. And where the limits are. Otherwise, they're just going to, you know, they'll run you right into the ground like a possum. Like a possum. Or a fainting goat. We need to work on our... Uh association and analogy type things yep. on the show. They become cumbersome at times. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how I like it. Just Kind of cumbersome and awkward <laughs> yeah, constantly. awkward. <laughs> but it's a good awkward, don't you think? Hey, we'll also be talking to our good buddies uh, down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. But uh, So we'll be talking with Dr. Leonard Sachs about the collapse of parenting, how we got to pick up our game. But first, Terry, let's get to the headlines. Anything going on we need to pay attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. President Obama made his first presidential visit to a mosque on Wednesday morning, sitting down for a roundtable with Muslim leaders before giving a nationally televised speech, touching upon themes of tolerance and religious harmony. In his remarks at the Islamic Society of Baltimore, Obama decried inexcusable political rhetoric against Muslim Americans and and lamented how, like all Americans, you're worried about the threat of terrorism, but on top of that, you also have another concern— that your entire community so often is targeted or blamed for the violent acts of very few. Mm. Interesting, interesting words. Yeah. Uh, After a long back and forth, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton have agreed to participate in four additional Democratic primary debates, the second of which will take place in Flint, Michigan in March. 
Former Secretary Clinton specifically requested the city as a location as it's come under national attention for its lead water problems and the massive political fallout from the uh, resultant poison drinking water. The other three debates will be uh, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and California in February, April, and May. Respectively, Sanders' campaign was pushing for a debate in Brooklyn, but uh, lost out on that request as Hillary Clinton, for some reason, doesn't want to debate in Brooklyn. Wow. I mean, that's nice for Flint. It could also cause some problems. It could. Okay. Lots of bottled water on hand, I, yeah. would, I would suggest. A report published Wednesday found a record number of people were exonerated of crimes in the U.S. in 2015, with nearly 40% of cases involving people falsely convicted of homicide. The National Registry of Exoneration said 149 people spent an average of 15 years in prison before being exonerated last year, 10 more than in 2014, the highest total since the group began keeping records in 1989. Hmm. So from this, we find that we are either more dedicated to righting wrongs in the legal system, or we are really bad at finding the guilty. I'd go with the latter. Bad at finding the guilty? Yeah. There's people, if, if there's that many people that are being exonerated, how many more people are wrongly convicted? Oh, yeah. And that, that's kind of the problem with, uh, with the system and what they're trying to fix, I guess, is we're, we're looking at these sentences closer with uh, new technology, DNA, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts said late Wednesday that partisan extremism is damaging the public's perception of the role of the Supreme Court. Recasting the justice as players in political in the political process rather than just its referees, divisive battles over confirmations and mischaracterization of the merits of the court's decisions worry him. Roberts said, "Criticism of the court doesn't bother me at all." Roberts said, "So long as it is not based on a misunderstanding of how the court differs from the political branches." Hmm. People talk about, you know, you hear activist judges use yeah. whenever it's a, a ruling you don't agree with. Or this idea of non-elected judges are, are making these rules. And it's like the whole Constitution was built on them not being elected so that they're not biased. Right, exactly. That they can sit there and look at the issue and make the best decision. You just don't agree with it. Well, but then too, though, they then are become the, the poster children for the media outlets that prefer their views. Yes. Right? So Fox will promote conservative judges msnbc might promote more liberal judges and then the battle continues and it he's worried that the people are beginning to not understand that they're supposed to be separate from the political branches to make this all balanced out and instead the 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 democrats and the republicans because of their opinions on rulings are trying to drag them into the political process and he doesn't like well we've probably we've never had a supreme court that had such access to media and technology i mean maybe what we ought to do is just put them in a cave just isolate them Yeah. yeah put them behind mount rushmore in a cave and not let them out could happen until they die. <laughs> See what happens. The IRS is scrambling to fix a major systems outage that could affect refunds, though it believes 90% of taxpayer, taxpayers will still get their refunds within 21 days of filing. Some of the agency's tax processing system went down Wednesday and it has temporarily stopped accepting electronic returns. In a statement, the agent said taxpayers should still submit tax returns to their uh, e-filing provider, who will then hold it until the IRS systems are up and running again. Will they, it affect audits or uh, just refunds? I don't know. Ugh. It says the IRS, the IRS says Blasted. that IRS.gov is still working, but the services including Where Where Is My Refund are currently out of action for the mm. moment. 
So if you can go ahead and file electronically, the, wh- whatever service you use will hold on to that until the services are back up, and then they'll send it on. Okay. Through. Well, we love the IRS. We're behind you guys. Don't say anything bad. I, we're very positive about the IRS. Finally, okay. Amazon, the uh, online retailer, mm-hmm. plans to open 300 to 400 physical bookstore locations across the nation. The Wall Street Journal's financial editor announced this on Tuesday. The decision comes only a few months after Amazon opened its first and only physical location in Why? Seattle. Why? That I, seems like that was their advantage. They yeah. didn't have a brick and mortar. And each store, the 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 the, the, the uh, inventory in the store will be t- determined by uh, all the people that live around that location what they purchase on Amazon. Yeah. So they'll take a, a, a like a an average of all that, and that's what the products will be in the stores. What's most likely to be purchased by that neighborhood? Shouldn't they maybe just partner with an existing store? No, they're putting them out of business. Yeah. So then you open your own store and sell your own product. That seems crazy. It's also a place to push the uh, their phones and tablets that no one's buying. Oh, okay. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> you see, you go buy their tablets for like six for, what, what 300 bucks. You could buy six or seven tablets. Why would you do that? So you could hand tablets out at Christmas and people think you're awesome. Get your tablets here. That's how we got the tasers, by the way. Yeah. Two for one sale. Tasers are us. Uh, yeah. Two for one sale. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. Um Coming up in just a minute, uh, do you, have you ever noticed that your your kids are really running the show? Then it might be time to take back your role as parent. Joining us will be Dr. Leonard Sachs. He'll be talking to us about The Collapse of Parenting, a new book that he's put out, and teach us how, uh, as grown-ups, we need to probably start acting like it. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Where are the children nowadays? You know, sometimes it seems like we live in a society of adults. Just some of them haven't grown their back, uh, their uh, all their teeth yet. Oh, that's so sad. Have you noticed that the kids today make so many of their life's decisions? They choose what to watch in, on social media, what to have for dinner, when they go to bed. Dr. Leonard Sachs, author of a new book, The Collapse of Parenting, says that treating our kids like grown-ups may lead children and teenagers to become less resilient, less physically fit, and more likely to become anxious or depressed, and, by the way, far more fragile compared to kids from the same demographics 30 years ago. So it's not just about letting them make decisions or, you know, kind of abandoning it. At some point, we've got to still take the role as a parent uh, to help our child through their development. He joins us now today from Pennsylvania to discuss how parenting is collapsing in our own homes. Dr. Leonard Sachs, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. Great to have you. Talk to us. Uh, what do you mean? You, you've got the book, The Collapse or uh, collapse of Parenting. What, what's, where do you see the collapse? Huh. Well, I'm a practicing family doctor, and I see it in the office every day. I see uh, parents who I, one family, the, the parents are doing their son's homework uh, so that he can play video games uh, past midnight. <laughs> and they're doing this night after night after night. That's an extreme case. But in many, many homes, parents, look, you mentioned letting kids decide. It's fine to let, let kids decide in some domains. Sure. 
but not in others. And this is where so many American parents are now confused. For example, is it okay for my 14-year-old daughter to take her cell phone to bed with her? Many, many American parents let the child or teenager decide. And that's a decision that should not be in the hands of the right. child. Because what, what happens is this girl's taking her phone to bed with her, and at midnight she's getting a text, Oh, my goodness, Emily and Jason have broken up. This is big news. And she's up for an hour exchanging text messages with her friend, and she is sleep-deprived. Look, at 9 o'clock at night, you take the phone from your daughter. You don't ask her. You, this is the rule. You take the phone from her, you turn it off, you put it in the charger, and the charger stays in the parent's bedroom. She can have it back tomorrow morning. Right. And you, you have to do this. This is not your child's job is but, but they job. need it what, what is she supposed <laughs> to say tomorrow at school right when her friend says hey i texted you last night at midnight how come you didn't answer is she supposed to say well researchers at stanford have found that sleep deprivation increases the risk of depression <laughs> among teens come on that's ridiculous right you have to allow her to say hey my evil parents take my phone every night at nine they won't let me have it back to the next morning that's right now you know you're in the Your right position right job. once she's bemoaning and mad at you then you know you're the right parent because it's such a great point, but then our kids play us. Like my kids, when we try to take their phone away, they're like, I need it to wake up. Yes, I use it as my alarm clock. I, exactly. Remind your child that they still make actual alarm clocks. Yeah, and we have one, and it's in your room. Not, That's right. not expensive. Yeah. Uh, and the child may push back. And in some cases, the child may say, I, I hate you. You're going to totally ruin my whole life. And so many parents are so terrified that their child will withdraw their affection, that they're not doing their job as parents. Your job as a parent is, number one, keep your child safe. Number two, teach your child right and wrong. And, if you're, and other things besides, of course, but those are two of the top ones. And if you're, not, if you're doing your job, if you are doing your job, then your child may not always approve. If one of your rules is you can't pick out on ice cream before you eat supper, your child may not approve, but that's why they have parents. Mm. And when parents abdicate their authority, a lot of bad things happen. You see an explosion in the proportion of kids who are obese. You see an explosion in the proportion of kids who are anxious and depressed. You see a decline in the academic achievement of American kids relative to kids in other countries. And all of these different phenomena, as I show in the book, are related to this one underlying dynamic, the collapse of parenting. And part, I, I guess you hit it on the head, it's it's a fear. Parents are parenting out of fear versus, I, I mean, I guess their original goal, which is to, to raise a healthy kid. Well, I think fear is a little a little strong, and it doesn't, doesn't feel like quite the right yeah. thing to me. What, what I think is closer is that parents are unsure and insecure and not really certain what they should be doing as parents in so many domains. You know, we didn't have cell phones growing up. How do you know what you should be doing as a parent? Well, you think back to your own childhood. If your parents did it right, you try and do it the way they did. But in this case, our own childhood gives us no guide. We didn't have uh, Instagram or cell phones when we were growing up. So what happens is a lot of parents look to what other parents are doing. And when I speak to parents, I say, don't do that, (laughs) because your neighbor's just as clueless as the rest of us. You need to look to the research. And there is actually a lot of good scholarly research to guide parents' decisions in answers to questions like, at what age is it okay for a child to have a cell phone? 
and how much should I know about what my daughter's doing on Instagram? You don't have to guess. There is a lot of good research. And, and again, a big motivation for writing the book was to share this research with parents. I love that, too, because one parent in a neighborhood makes a decision to give their cell phone, a child a cell phone at eight or whatever, and everyone else is going to end up hearing about it. And many well, are just going to give in. And kids know how to play this right. game. But don't be afraid to do the right thing. And, you know, one parent, uh, actually in Sandy, Utah, just outside South Lake Yeah, right where we are, yeah. I, I spoke there. Uh, she was telling me how she said to her 11-year-old daughter, she said, I'm, I'm taking your phone from you. And it's not because you did anything wrong. This is not a punishment. But I'm just concerned about how you're spending so much time glued to that phone, texting and Snapchatting. So you're not going to have a phone anymore, period. And her daughter was a little unhappy but got over it. And her daughter's friends were like, they didn't have a problem. They were like, oh, you know her. She's the one with the crazy mom who took her cell phone away. <laughs> but the real pushback, and this was just outside Salt Lake City, Utah, the real pushback came from the other parents. Yeah. The parents of the other girls really attacked this woman. She told me that wherever she goes, the other, uh, other parents will come up to her and say, how can you deprive your daughter that way? You're making her the odd girl out. You're depriving her of all these experiences. And, it, and what this woman said to me is she thinks the other parents are so insecure, have so little confidence about what they're doing and their own decision to give cell phones to their 10 and 11-year-olds that they're attacking her because they see a parent who's acting as a parent should. Mm. I mean, that, yeah, then it's kind of, it's almost like it's, it's out of guilt maybe or, and their own lack of or inability to be that strong. Their own insecurity. Yeah, their insecurity. Wow. And, and really, I guess th- then all of a sudden we're only as strong as those around us, I mean, until we can well, And I think so many stand parents up. are confused about what's important. So many parents want their kids to be popular. And again, in the book, I show the data. Look, being popular at age 13 is not a good predictor of good <laughs> outcomes. On the contrary, there's now good evidence that the most popular kid at middle school at age 13 is actually less likely 10 years down the road. When researchers follow these kids 10 years down the road, that kid is less likely to be gainfully employed, less likely to be confident. And uh, look, the, the skill set you need to be popular in the United States at 13 years of age in middle school is all about the culture of disrespect. Uh, and you don't want your kid to be a master of the culture of disrespect. So don't worry about popularity and tell your kid, look, you're not going to be the most popular kid because to be the most popular kid means being disrespectful, means doing things that I'm not going to allow you to do. Hmm. So deal with it. That is great. Uh, That's actually great news, isn't it? I mean, because all of a sudden. It takes a great burden off kids. Yeah. You don't have to worry how many likes they get on Instagram or how many people are following them. Uh, that's a great burden off their backs because one of the unspoken messages of, of American popular culture right now, by which I mean the culture of Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, Kim Kardashian, <laughs> is that it really matters how many people like your Instagram. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Leonard Sachs. He has his Ph.D. and an M.D. He's the author of the book, The Collapse of Parenting. Uh, we'll take a break, come back. More with Dr. Leonard Sachs in just a minute. You can also go to his website, leonardsachs.com, leonardsachs.com. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back learning how to uh, 
you know, strengthen, support, build up your uh, your parenting skills and tools and avoid the parenting collapse. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Dr. Leonard Sachs. Uh, He is the author of the book, The Collapse of Parenting. He is a Ph.D. and an M.D., and he, uh, on his website, leonardsachs.com, you can get all of his books and information. Today he's teaching us about the collapse of parenting. Dr. Sachs, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to have you. Talk to us um, a little bit more about your book and what impact do you sense that social media is having on this collapse of parenting? Well, in the book, I talk about how American culture now indoctrinates kids in the idea that you have to be awesome and how harmful that is and how the antidote to the... uh, culture of, of being awesome is the virtue of humility and how important it is for parents to teach the virtue of humility to their kids and how humility leads to contentment and real happiness and social media as kids use social media is the opposite of humility mm. uh, social media is all about me here I am at the party having a great time here I am picking my nose. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, you know, and defenders of social media say, oh, you can use social media to raise money for the, for the poor and feed the homeless. Well, you can, but that's <laughs> not how yeah. American kids are using it. The way, and this is, again, not a guess. I cite lots of research. There are good scientists now studying how American kids use social media, and it's all about selfies and getting lots of likes on Instagram, and it profoundly undermines teaching the virtue of of humility, which is all about being interested in other people, not about broadcasting yourself. It's so true, and and you can, you know, you can show great examples and try to do it. Except again, the kids are going to do it their way. That's right. And preaching accomplishes very little. And this is why when I speak to parents, I say you must guide and govern your kids' use of the device. You have to install apps like My Mobile Watchdog or Net Nanny Mobile on your kid's cell phone so that when they take a photo, the moment they take that photo, they know that that photo is going to your phone and your laptop. You will see every photo they take before they do anything with it. And you tell your daughter, if you take any inappropriate photo, you will lose the device indefinitely. Hmm. That's how you teach virtue. You inculcate virtue by making it a matter of habit, by saying if you don't want, if you look, you can't, if you take an inappropriate photo, you're going to lose your device. You don't preach about it. You just lay down the rules. Well, yeah, and and then it, and then create the systems, and that that's life, right? Life is about yeah, rules. Well, life is about systems. It's an excuse. You know, in my own experience, a girl I knew well from my own practice, uh, her friend, also a fourteen-year-old girl, said to her, "Hey, how about I take some pictures of you taking your clothes off? You take some pictures of me taking my clothes off. We'll send them to our boyfriends." And this girl responded, well, I can't do that because my parents have put this app on my phone. Go ahead. And so she handed her phone to her friend, and her friend took a picture of some flowers, and they called mom at work and said, hey, Ms. Kirkpatrick, you see those? Uh, you, you see the picture we just took? And, and uh, 
Mom's looking at it. Yeah, uh, let's see. It's a vase of flowers, um, gardenias. Mm. And the woman said, the girl said, oh, uh, all right, thanks, bye. <laughs> and then the girl who had proposed the striptease said to her friend, the girl I know, said, wow. She said, I wish my parents cared about me that much. They have no idea what I do with my phone. So wow. again, it's got to be your job as the parent to put these things in place, to give your kid an excuse to say no. That's great. And um – and 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 protect them and 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 kind of nurture them and keep them safe while their maturity is not there to make these decisions. Well, that's right. And you know, there've been so many stories recently about how good kids in good neighborhoods are sexting. And again, they're kids. If you're going to give your child a phone that can take a picture and send it anywhere, then you, the parent, have an obligation to guide and govern how your kid is using that phone. And that's got to go beyond preaching. You've got to explain to them, look, if you're going to have this phone, then there's going to be apps on it that's going to enable me to see what you're doing. And uh, you need to use the phone responsibly. If you don't, you'll lose the phone. If, if parents had done that, then these scandals we're hearing about in Colorado and elsewhere would not have happened. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and again, with technology, too, the kids many times might be much more savvy, much more educated on how to use it, what to do with it than a lot of us parents. So we got to pay attention to that. Well, and that's why it's important to have these programs. I don't expect parents to go out and become IT experts, but there's good programs out there. I have no affiliation with any of these programs, but NetNanny Mobile, My Mobile Watchdog, they will report to you, the programs report to you, what sites your kids are visiting and what they're doing there. Because, again, many of these sites now are designed to deceive parents. In the Colorado case, there was a, an app that looked like a calculator. And if you look at your kid's phone, you see a calculator app, and you don't, you don't worry about it. But if you enter a four-digit passcode, it becomes a photo-sharing app. Mm. And that's how these kids in Colorado were sharing all these uh, obscene photos, and parents were clueless. Wow. We've got about uh, about two minutes left here. What would you say, Dr. Sachs, is, is maybe the one thing that as parents we should be focusing on? If there's one thing that would be the most leveraged, you know, sure. response? The answer or... is to prioritize the family. Uh, so many American parents are picking up their kids at school and driving them to soccer practice and then driving them to a play date with their friend, and there's no family meal at home. And the unintended message is that the family meal at home is the lowest priority. The family meal at home should be the highest priority. And it comes before friends. Cancel the play date. Make a family date instead. Hmm. That's true. Because we're communicating one way or another, right? If I'm not there, I'm Turn saying something. The screens, no screens at the dinner table. At the dinner table, it's about face-to-face communication. No earbuds in the car. When you're driving in the car with your child, they shouldn't be listening to Justin Bieber. (laughs) They should be listening to you, and you should be listening to them. Turn off the screens. Turn off the devices. When you're with your child, you should be with your child. There should not be a screen uh, between you and the child. That's great stuff. Great information. Again, um, the book is uh, called The Collapse of Parenting. You can find out more about it on, his, on uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs' website, leonardsachs.com. And uh, we appreciate you, Dr. Sachs. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for inviting me. Great, great insight. Uh, parents, it's, it's life. And uh, you can be strong and still uh, loving. In fact, sometimes being strong, as we're learning, is love. Having rules is 
shows love. It shows that you want to protect these beautiful, innocent uh, resources, these, the, 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 these beautiful children. And you, there's so many tools. There's so many solutions. There's so many resources we could use to protect these kids. Let's, uh, let's engage and let's start um, taking back our families. Great stuff. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, visit our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, see what's coming up on their show today. Also see if they've recovered from uh, the signing day uh, at the university. Um, interesting insights about recruiting. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, what a great song. I remember roller skating to this. <laughs> we'll shoot it down to my good buddies at BYU Sports Nation to find out what's going on in their neck of the woods. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, kids? Oh, I know you're there. You're probably just listening to this beautiful song. Spencer, Jerem, are you there? Yeah, what's up, Doc? How are you, buddy? Good. Do you like this song? Of course we do. What is it? A little pinkish Floydish. Oh, yeah, now I can hear it. Um, I used to roller skate to this song. Nice. Like last week at Classic Skating? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very nice. Pulled a hammy. Hey, pulled a we hammy? have a question for you, Matt. What? Have you seen... Do you know who the character... Show enough is if I say that. No, but I like the way you say it. Have you seen the movie The Last Dragon? No. We need to search this movie trailer. Hold on, I'm I'm writing it down. The Last Dragon. Mm-hmm. And it came out in like 1986. Yeah, no, I'm not into dragon movies. We're not friends anymore. Okay, um, <laughs> but but now why why do I want to see the trailer? Okay, now I bring this up because there's a character in there. His name is Shonuff, and he wears these sunglasses, these shades, sunshades, that look like our blue goggles, except yeah. his are black. Uh-huh. And so we had the football coaches yesterday during signing. They put on the blue goggles in Studio B. <laughs> and one of them, Elisa Tuiaki, our defensive coordinator, said, I look like Shonuff. <laughs> Me and Jeremy were like, what? Wow. So then you what? had to go look it up. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing that up because it's an older movie. Yes. So you thought I would have seen it. Of course. No, but I've seen Gone with the Wind. You never bring that up. <laughs> Didn't you see that in the premiere? I did. <laughs> I'll never forget the premiere of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> that was did one of the big... The year... What year did that movie come out, Matt? I have no, like, I have no like idea. 52 or I want to say 1939. I'm going to go look it up. Gone oh, with... that far away? Um, <laughs> not sure why that's that just nine, eight, where, where uh, 1939 going? is it 39 yeah yeah I remember when Clark and Vivian Lee came I remember. out <laughs> you guys think I'm all uh, you think I'm old but no did you hear what you know how everyone was declaring yesterday did you hear what I declared today what did you declare well, Professor, I declared <laughs> um, I declared my eligibility for the NBA draft. Awesome! You're entering the NBA draft. Yep. 
I'm think, so excited. I know. It's a lot of people are they're kind of like, wow. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 I have a lot of wow today. Like, wow. Really? Is that a, is that a good wow? Or yeah. A wow. Well, how many other wows are there? Well, there are quite a few. Like, a wow. Like, wow. Wow. Um, but I think what it is is it's Stefan. He's having all of these incredible 11 plus three point games. So I'm Stephen thinking, Curry. yeah, don't you think? What was the graphic I saw last night on SportsCenter? I think it was like most games with yeah. 50 points and 10 three-pointers made. Like there have been six in NBA history, and mm. Stephen Curry has three of them. Right. When, when I used to <laughs> play, pretty good, pretty good. back in the day when I would play, I was doing that all the time. You were taking 10 three-point shots? I'll take false for 400. <laughs> you guys are rude. You're like my team here. They Nobody believes I'm a baller. I'm a baller. I'm sorry, I don't. Holy Prove it. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. Um, okay. Someday when we have BYU basketball, BYU broadcasting basketball day, when that when they build their the new building and it's all complete, we'll go over there. I'll show you my fade. Shot. Okay. Your fade away? Mm-hmm. Your fade, like your haircut? Mm-hmm. Oh. The high fade. You guys. Whatever. Hey, did you guys um, survive yesterday? You had a really big day. It was fun. I, I love it because we have a lot of uh, you know access to football in February. So mm-hmm. we did our live show at uh, noon Eastern. I was over at the Student Athlete Building there, and Spencer and Brian were over here, and we covered the signees as they came in, which is fun. And then uh, the afternoon show, which aired at uh, 7 Eastern BYU Radio here. Uh, we had Kalani Sataki in studio, Ty Demmer, and uh, Elisa Tuiaki, so the head coach and the coordinators. They did a great job breaking down everything. The biggest news, though, that came out of that was about Jamal Williams, that he is enrolled and that he's doing great. He's all in. Really? People were like, oh, he's in, man. He's a leader for the team. That is huge. People weren't sure if he was coming back, if he was going to train. He's here, and he's ready to go. Does he only have one more year of eligibility? Yeah. This will be – he got a um, a medical redshirt. Does or sorry he no he just he just uh, got out of school so um, it ended up being a straight redshirt year so we'll have a running game yes and I mean BYU returns everybody but Adam Hine yeah. from last year's group oh. also Joe Brown who had a nice seven hundred yard ten what, plus touchdown season what back. grade would you give BYU's recruiting signing day I'd give it a B plus yeah right That's, rivals uh, rank them forty eighth. So a top 50 class is good. That's BYU's first top 50 class since 2010. Well, especially because yeah, Coach only had, like, what, six weeks? Six to, weeks. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Pretty, I mean, it really takes us six or seven years to know how good this class is, to be honest. But there are some impact players right away, namely Handsome Taniello, a defensive lineman from Snow, who's a junior. Uh, Troy Warner, a freshman who is expected to do big things on defense, play mm-hmm. a little offense, maybe like special his, teams. That's cool. And then Jonah Trineman, a four-star uh, wide receiver out of snow as well. Those three are kind of the impact players. The rest of the guys are either going to be developing a little young or going on missions first, which is the case for most of that class. Mm. 25 dudes. Man, that's good living. BYU had five four-star recruits. Five. That's pretty good. That is good. They're the number two kicker in the country. He's going on a mission. So yeah. Look forward to that in uh, 17 years <laughs> <laughs> when he graduates. That's funny. You guys, and, I, and on the local radio here, I heard everyone talking about how incredible BYU's presentation was, which is you guys. Well, it's, it's impressive uh, what they did over the student-athlete building. Kind of a, a draft day feel. A lot of mm-hmm. alumni came over there. 
cool lights, an awesome cake, an ice sculpture. Uh, Lavelle Edwards was there. It, it was cool. It was a cool. cool vibe over there. It's the way it's then, supposed to be. And then we hope that we add something with our shows. Sure. No, you, you, of course you do. Are you but kidding who me? Am I? Show enough. Show enough. There we go. Show enough. <laughs> we don't know anything about this other than having watched the trailers. So we're not going to act like we're experts here. On this no, but so I <laughs> thought you guys dragon. would start quoting. I remember my sisters liked that movie, but I was too young to know. Well, yeah, you had a life. Yeah, I was lining up Hot Wheels cars and Legos. Uh, Legos I loved Hot Wheels cars. Yeah. Well, we're going to let you guys go. Um, I know you got to go get all pumped up, do your pre-show routine. Wax. Show enough. Hey, uh, but you're, you are doing your show. What's on your show today? Biggest game of the year for BYU basketball. Why that is not an exaggeration. Wow. There are so many things riding on tonight's result. Jeez. We'll get into that. Plus, another milestone potentially going to be tracked down here in two or three games by a BYU basketball player. The man who holds the record and the man who might break the record. Mm. Details on that. Man, okay. It's a killer show again. Knock them dead, boys. We will do that. Remember who you are. and Show enough. Show, show enough. Thanks. Thank Goodbye, you. Matthew. Thank you, Bane. <laughs> I love it. Take care, gents. That's cool. Um, yeah, they, that was a big day. I've never seen them work so hard. I mean, they're earning their money. Totally. Just yesterday. They always work hard, actually. Um, we uh, There's a lot of people that don't believe I'll go pro. You know? They're haters. Haters. Haters can hate. But, you know, mar- we marked the day. We marked it. So today... That's a lot of pressure on you now. Yeah. You know what's funny about it? I'll forget about all of it tomorrow. Because, you know, I got other stuff to do. I, I'm, a busy, I'm a busy man. Hey, um, this snow. You've heard about all the snow that hit the, the Midwest after the Iowa caucus. As you heard about the storm, the big storm that hit the East Coast, shut down the government for a month. Um, and uh, we always talk about, you know, the snow here in Utah. But there's apparently people need to learn something. So as a show where we like to teach people and help people become better, we want to just teach everybody today that if it snows, you know, uh, you know, a foot, two, three feet on your car, y- you got to clean it off before you drive somewhere. We, you got to – you can't just drive with all the snow on your car. A woman in Halifax was pulled over, fined $180, and told to clear the snow off her car Wednesday after police saw her driving what they describe as a snowbank with four wheels. The 37-year-old, who has not been identified, told police she didn't bother to clear the entire windshield because she was going to the car wash to get the snow off. That's not how you get snow off a car, I don't think. Um... But you have to, you know, get to from where you are to where you're going. You got to get to the car wash. And the cops are like, that's a safety issue, right? So she got a ticket. Now, she wasn't the only one driving a snowbank. Apparently, an 80-year-old woman was charged with driving a snowbank as well. The 80-year-old woman was charged after driving a car that was almost completely covered in snow with only a portion of the driver's side windshield cleared for vision. I mean, folks... If you can't see the cars on all sides of you, how are you driving this thing? 
Um, this person, actually, it was a man, and he received a ticket for $110. See that again, sexism. The female, 180. The man, 110. Different cities. This was in Ontario. And an officer spotted a car resembling a pile of snow on the road in Brussels, Ontario, Tuesday. The man whose name was not released was charged with having an, uh, an obstructed view. And he said he was too old and weak to brush off the snow. Now, there's a great excuse. Ben says, why don't you use it? Rude. Um, one other story. In Alaska, a burglary suspect um, uh, is was identified after locking his keys in the car. Okay? Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? In our bad boys file, uh, again, trying to lend a hand to even the criminal element, a man suspected of burglarizing two businesses in a community outside of Fairbanks, Alaska, was identified after locking his keys in his car. North Pole Police uh, Chief Steve Dutra says surveillance footage recorded the 27-year-old man loading stolen items January 6th into the trunk of his car. He is then suspected of taking 6000 in items from a laundry and a fitness business. The surveillance, surveillance footage shows the man maneuvering his car closer for easier loading. Later video shows a cab pulling up to help unlock the car. Uh, police obtained the man's cell phone number from the name of the cab company. Prosecutors on Wednesday filed criminal charges of burglary, felony theft, and misdemeanor mischief. So just a little advice to you bad boys. If you need to um, – if you need to – if you're going to steal stuff and you park your car, make sure you have your keys in your hand before you lock the door. And make sure you're not doing it under – a Video camera. Just some very simple advice from the Matt Townsend Show. As you know, too, we like to end the show with a hero story. Today's hero, Angie Padrone from Florida. She's a mom uh, and uh, the Florida mother um, of two fights off carjackers while filling up her car. Uh, Angie Padrone was traveling to Miami with her seven-year-old son and her one-year-old daughter when she stopped to fill up on gas. Out of nowhere, an armed carjacker jumped into the driver's seat of her convertible and another began pounding on the window. Padron says the only thing she could think about was her children. Security footage shows Padron sprinting around the car to the driver door, diving into the car and pulling the man out of the vehicle, ripping off his mask. Padron kept yelling, get out of the car. And the two would-be uh, carjackers ran off, allegedly leaving the scene in a getaway car. Two men and their getaway driver were all arrested minutes later. And as if you need another reason to never, ever get between a mama bear and her kids, there it is. She's the hero of the day, Angie Padrone. That's it, folks. Uh, that's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow. 